0: This is Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Every week, we review an episode of the Cult Classic time travel series and decide whether it holds up to present-day viewing, and hopefully, we'll entertain you along the way. Be sure to check us out on our website, FWWQuantumLeapPod.com, and also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Fate's Wide Wheel. And be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Everybody, hello! Welcome to Fates Wide Wheel, we are here today to discuss Nowhere to Run, directed by Alan J. Levi, written by Tommy Thompson. Our air date is October 6th, 1992, leap date August 10th, 1968, and Sam is left into Captain Ronald Miller in San Diego, California in a Veterans Hospital um we talked about alan levi last episode um you know but just to to throw in there this is his fifth of sixth uh fifth of six episodes that he would direct uh, others include kamikaze what price gloria uh freedom um and next up his last one will be blood moon also did a lot of jag lois and clark magnum pi Airwolf, uh, incredible hulk Night rider 2000 Um, And then, of (laughs) course, (laughs) anytime we get to bring that up. Um, And then, of course, Tommy Thompson. um, You know, he uh, has been involved in in the writing of quite a few episodes, including uh, Leaping In Without a Net. Um, I think that uh, 13 total. Um, He'll also do Deliver Us From Evil. Uh, uh, Leap of Faith was another one prior to this. Uh, Miss Deep South. Um, Moments to Live. Uh, and that brings us right up here to Nowhere to Run. Um, yeah, we're in a veteran's hospital in California. Dennis, what does TV Guide tell us? TV Guide. TV Guide <laughs> description. There
0: we go. Uh, Sam, Scott Bakula, leaps into a paraplegic Vietnam vet who must smooth out a situation involving a suicidal roommate who's paralyzed. Yes. That's pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, would be pretty insensitive to make any puns. Yeah, uh, revolving yeah, around the subject matter uh, not that we made any not that we off, as, off, off no. no we would never do no, such a thing. no 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 we we will take a moral stand <laughs> on that uh, in other countries it was also in uh, Germany it was known as a second life interesting in France it was known as a back to war okay and in Italy which always gives us the interesting ones the duty to live okay alright
1: I, yeah, I get I get those. I get all of those. In mm-hmm. fact, in some ways, I almost I almost like those maybe even a little better than nowhere to run.
0: Nowhere to run. Now that I think, it's a kind of a bad. Yeah, it's very nearly a little I- insensitive. It's a little, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a little insensitive. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it, it does allude to uh, uh, a 1965 song by by Martha and the Vandals. So yes, 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 um, and. So, so yeah, Sam uh, leaps in, uh, he's on a gurney, um, another uh, resident of the hospital comes up, he is obviously mentally unstable, sounding shouting some stuff about Charlie coming over the wire, so on, um, and then this is where we first meet the orderly, uh, what's the orderly, Holt, mm. Holt, that's his name, uh, we'll talk, we'll get into Holt later on, uh, but Holt uh, roughs him up, drags him away, Sam wants to jump up and go save him, he's like strapped in um early appearance of Al this may be the quickest Al ever shows up yeah uh urging him to not get up um saying you can't get up because you don't have any legs minor quibble i love how at the end of last week's episode we don't hear, we don't we don't we don't need to see it like sam just looks in the mirror and he moves his legs yeah. and we get the thing um yeah it, I, it's a little bit uh, Hitting the, uh, hitting it too much over the head to like, right to Al to spell it out you can't get up. But hey, what do you
1: do? And I would agree the same thing with the title. It's like it, it's almost a little too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I like the fact that in the, the leap out that we got at the end of last week's episode that yeah Al just does a little pointing up towards the mirror. Yeah, um, it's it's a it's a wonderful you know show don't tell mm-hmm. thing. Whereas in this one it's like they show and tell. They show, yeah, <laughs> we're gonna yeah,
0: um, um, which is fine yeah yeah and and then we go into the opening credits and i i had a revelation the other day uh about the opening credits about whatever because we we've been kind of dragging season five uh first couple episodes lee harvey oswald uh uh leaping of the shrew last week i've been doing a bit making fun of the theme song and i realized that's not fair uh, so we're not, uh, Larry Ganey, he, he, he wanted us to keep doing the theme song bit. We're going we're gonna to cut the theme song bit that we sure. did for a couple episodes. Because we talked about, I think it was last week, we were talking about how um, we're down on the theme song because the, the updated theme song is kind of representative of the fact that the series didn't go on. Like, they, they threw a bunch of gimmicks, they threw everything at the wall. In this last season. But also, Quantum Leap was trying to go in a different direction. Yeah. In this season. And I think sometimes we were kind of down on the fifth season because it obviously didn't work. The show was canceled at the end of that season. But had the show gone on to a sixth or seventh season, we might have been more forgiving of this episode as this new version of Quantum Leap I'm not. Inten- I'm not intentionally trying to make a bad pun here. Given the episode, <laughs> that this new version of Quantum Leap was finding its legs. Yes, the show was going in a little bit more of a sci-fi direction. Right, and it was trying to figure out what that was. I think th- uh, this kind of applies more to next week's episode, Killing Time, for sure. But this episode, like the, the series, now was like trying to find a new place, yeah, a new groove that I think it would have found in a sixth or seventh season. And it just ended up not not getting there
1: well and I and I think to, to kind of add to that briefly that it's interesting that we get Lee Harvey Oswald which is this two hour premiere mm-hmm. that gives us something unlike we've ever seen before when it comes to quantum leap and then we get two episodes in a row that are you know kind of boilerplate quantum leap really Mm -hmm. in taming of the shrew or leaping of the shrew rather and and now nowhere to run like these episodes those two episodes could have easily fit in any other season of quantum leap whereas lee harvey oswald and next week's episode killing time i would argue killing time there's no g uh would uh would certainly be more at home in in this season obviously season five or you could make an argument for Killin' Time, I think, in season four, maybe, mm-hmm. just because we'd seen, like, the leap back at that point. But, yeah, I think that Lee Harvey Oswald and Killin' Time are definitely season five episodes, whereas Leaping of the Shrew
0: and Nowhere to Run hmm. are Quantum Leap episodes. Yeah, yes. Not that the it's other two it, aren't. Yeah. This one, I think, a little bit more, it's it's the gimmick of leaping into someone with no legs. It is something different. And, and, and the fact that... Sam gets up and walks and someone else sees him. To me, that's what makes this episode a little bit more on the gimmicky end. Of course. Um, But yeah, we'll get to that moment and and thoughts on that. We will.
1: Later on. We will. Um, One thing to to mention quickly about The Orderly is that we get right off the bat, who's played by Gene Lithgow, by the way, no relation, Um, and he, uh, he roughs up, The other vet that is um, clearly at that particular point in time experiencing some PTSD symptoms Mm -hmm. and, you know, is afraid that Charlie's coming, that they're going to cut their heads off. And his response, the orderly's response, is to basically put him into like a, you know, a half chicken wing, like Mm -hmm. almost chokehold, yeah, and drag him away. And that's what prompts Sam, of course, to, to be like, Hey, you know, is that really necessary? Um, I love Sam's response to it. It's very Sam. Mm. Um, but obviously he can't do anything about it. I will contend. And, and after having watched the episode once a week ago, and then again last night, Mm. uh, that I just, I firmly believe that as, as unbothered as i am by him overall the orderly's role in this episode almost feels a little unnecessary i think there's enough drama in other aspects mm-hmm. that he doesn't like it we don't need
0: that kind of heavy in yeah. this episode i mean here and we'll go ahead and jump ahead here's the purpose i think he serves i didn't even think about it until you brought up the critique so anyway we took a week off of recording And but Sam and I we texted a lot back and forth about the episode, so that's what we're referring to here. And I never really thought about it until we brought it up in our our text conversation last week. I think he exists in this episode because we have to have a bad guy because that's who Sam can reveal himself to. Right. So Sam can so we can have if Sam leaps into someone with no legs, we got to have the gimmick of him walking with no legs. And so and, and like if he revealed himself to anybody else, that would create a weird thing. So we reveal himself to the bad guy character who, when he tries to out Sam, right. no one believes him. Right.
1: And my counterpoint to that
0: it was, in our
1: text conversation, and is that I think it would have been, as a viewer, just as strong and satisfying had at the end, when Billy tries to kill himself and is underwater drowning, we see Sam stand up and we see you know the mirror in the swimming pool, for instance, and we see him standing there without the legs. Because to me, that moment is more for the audience mm-hmm. than it is for the other characters within the episode. Mm-hmm. And I think that I just yeah, I, I I get that he's an extra obstacle, but again, that he's he's written as a plot contrivance and an extra obstacle and and a villainous character Mm. and there's nothing else to him at all and because this episode is so strong in so many other respects in particular Julie which I think is one of the reasons why it's hard for me sometimes to take Holt because we have a character like Julie who could have easily been a very cardboard shrewish unfaithful bad wife Mm -hmm. and instead she's a really wonderful sympathetic character in spite of her flaws Mm -hmm. and instead and and then we get this cardboard villain over here off to the side and so it just feels like he doesn't fit with the rest of this
0: episode in my opinion Mm -hmm. I believe that also counterpoint I (laughs) wonder if the reason why he's in the episode is that uh, uh, Tommy Thompson he wrote this episode as a reaction of him being on crutches and, and, and having that... Oh, interesting. Yes, okay. and, and having that sensation of, of you know, not being able... not having mobility. Sure. And uh, I wonder, because I, I think if I, if I remember reading correctly, like, like he had spent some time in, like, in, like, in, like a hospital, like, recovery area. Like, I wonder if Holt is based on someone. It could very well be, yeah. Or that, you know, that archetype. And, you know, he's
1: reminiscent of um, the orderly in shock theater as well, mm. who seems very... Cardboard for the most part. Although I would argue that he, that in shock theater, I can't remember the character's name at the top of my head, we uh. get we, we get even a little bit more understanding of why he is the way he is. Not much, but mm-hmm. he also gets a little more screen time. Sure. Anyway, um, it's shortly after this that uh, in, a, in a scene that just feels honest, uh-huh. which makes it even more absurd when Sam goes to visit the mm-hmm. doctor.
2: Mm-hmm
1: who just is practically reading off a script. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Your life isn't over. Yeah. You're still worth... Yeah, it's like... And Sam's reactions Mm -hmm. are perfect. They are, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's it's one of those situations where he just feels like... This episode, he feels as much like the character of Ronald, Ronald Miller as he does Sam. Yeah. And that's... And I think it's a really wonderful aspect of... That, you know, of, of not only Sam's characterization, uh, but his ability at this point in the series to, you know, become a character, if you will. Sure.
0: It's interesting to put a poet like the way he interprets the way he interprets the doctor's cardboard, trite, whatever things. Yeah. Billy could also very well interpret everybody else's things as the same thing. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: Even some of what Sam says to him. Totally. Yeah. I agree. Um, speaking of Billy, yeah, let's talk about Billy for yeah. a second. But first, we got to talk about
0: we got to talk about Kiki. First. We
1: do. How could we leave? How could we leave our darling? I Kiki mean, this out? is
0: probably probably the most popular, the most the most famous actor to come out of Quantum Leap.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I would absolutely. I would say agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, at one point in time, I feel like in the late '90s, early 2000s, you probably could have made an argument for Terry Hatcher because Desperate Housewives was so big. Oh sure, but yeah. when you look, but when you look back now on what has happened in the interim, sure, like, clearly Jennifer Aniston has had more staying power.
0: hey, <laughs> uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, time will tell. Who knows? That's true. Terry H- I mean, you know, between Lois and Clark and Desperate Housewives terry hatcher kept herself afloat in the public eye with the radio shack commercials she may <laughs> she may come back around again that is very time true. time will tell mm-hmm. uh
1: it, you know worth worth noting that prior to quantum leap uh she did have I, a lot of um i think quantum leap fans uh and message boards and, and even matt's book talk about this being like you know one of her first things. It is worth noting that prior to this, she did have a co-starring role on the Ferris Bueller television show as mm. Jeannie, the Ferris's sister. Okay. So, like, she had already... I mean, that show ran for 13 episodes. It wasn't very good. Whatever. Sure. But she had been a co-star, you know, on a, a primetime television sitcom. So there was something before There was this. something else before, but it, yeah. But, but this was definitely, I think... um you know, certainly one of her bigger roles uh, early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, arguably the biggest outside of, of Ferris Bueller. And in some sure. ways, nobody watched Ferris Bueller, so... No,
0: I mean, you know, <laughs> and, and the Ferris Bueller TV show was no Parker Lewis Can't Lose. It, it was not. I was thinking <laughs> the same <damn> thing, actually. <laughs> Look it up. Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. Look it up, kids. It, it, you know,
1: if that show was streaming, I would probably go back and watch it I would go kid. back and revisit it that. It I see. mean, it was a Ferris Bueller ripoff. Yeah. Which is funny, considering that it was... Better than the actual the, uh, TV, yeah. TV show,
0: but uh, but yeah, we meet we meet Kiki. Yes, uh, this is where we first hear about her brother yep. Robert, who is MIA, mm-hmm. and so this becomes a little side mission. We think it's a side mission. It becomes a little side mission for Sam to try to figure out what's going on with Bobby. Uh, and I, uh, I I don't know how to feel about Kiki because Kiki's a player. Oh. She's coming on strong, she is coming on <laughs> super strong and and lieutenant Miller is married, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, well, and the thing that I can't help but wonder is how is she with the other soldiers mm-hmm. the you know the the other vets because. Since we don't really get to see much, except she, we see a scene she, with her we, and Billy. Her,
0: yeah, we, we see her like interact a bit. Like there's a, where she's pushing Sam through, and they're catcalling. And, and and she, yeah, she's yeah. catcalling, and she's yeah. And you know, and I think that
1: based off of that scene and the scene with Billy, it does seem as though there's something about Ron that she is definitely attracted to. Yeah. Obviously, like you said, he's married. Um, and he is he's gone through an incredible amount of trauma. Yeah. And is now in this hospital rehabbing. Um it does make you wonder. Now I think that my quantum leap brain, mm-hmm. especially when she does the palm reading, which is just oh, yeah. a cute little scene, it it feels like she there's an awareness, you know, kind of a new agey almost awareness sure. that she's seen through Ron to Sam. Okay. And it and it's funny because the thought I had upon rewatch is as she's doing the, the lifeline and looking into his eyes and, you know, kind of like getting this other, you have have like
0: two, you have like a lifeline long enough for two, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
1: That, that it, it does seem like there's a connection with her and Sam. And it, it, it's one of those things that makes me wonder, it's like, what happens when Ron gets back? Because Mm -hmm. as we've, postulated before the, the possibility that Ron is going to get some memories of what happened while Sam was there, so he's going to be aware of what was going on, the idea still is, is that that's a different person. Hmm. So you almost have to question, it's like, well, does Kiki still see everything that she saw in Ron, that she saw in Sam?
2: Uh,
0: I mean, given how history plays out.
1: Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I agree with that. Yeah. But I did question it in the moment of the, the palm reading scene.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But either case, so we've met Kiki and now we've gone to the scene we discussed with 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 Hardig where he drops all the trite whatever right. when we'll when we get the ever important line that will come back around at the end uh you'll be surprised what you can do when you have to yeah 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 and then uh, and that's when we meet Billy yeah first time, right
1: you know and, and before before we get into this because i I have quite a few things to say about this uh <laughs> believe it or not um one of the things that Jess commented on, cause she watched the episode with me upon my, when I rewatched it, mm. um, is that Sam seems a little bit, uh, just a little bit more, she, she, she used the word bitter actually and jaded, um, mm. but also more assured, more, um, and I think the bitterness maybe comes into play later on in the episode, but mm. a little bit of it is on display in his conversation with Hardig But at the same time, he's so much more comfortable in leaping into other people at this point. And there's a little bit more assuredness to what he's doing. And I think the scene with Kiki is a good example of that. Mm -hmm. There's no... Like, I think that one of the things that we see in this episode is Sam... There's very little artifice. Sam isn't trying to be Ron Miller. Sam isn't trying to be the person that he's leapt into. Sam is just existing. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Especially in light of what we'll see with next week's episode, Killing Time, that that is, is, is an interesting facet to his character that has developed over, you know, five seasons, as opposed to the way he was early on when he was always, you know, especially when there's some of those wink, wink, nudge, nudge moments of, like, yeah. well, he's not really so-and-so, and I think that that's one of the things that we see on display in these first couple of scenes. Sure. And it, it,
0: it's space that I can remember where exactly they are in the scenes. It's... Um, the way Sam reacts when he finds out that he has a wife and his wife is on his way, uh, when the wife is on her way, yes. like, almost, like, uh, the surprise and maybe even, like, a little bit of bitterness. Like, he even has, like, the the one, like, where he just gets kind of uh, really snarky. And he was like, yeah. oh, okay. oh I, I, I know her name. She knows mine. Mine. I'm sure there's, like, so much we can talk about. Like, just like that. Exactly. Uh, um like I don't think I've ever seen before like, like Sam like express just kind of like "Oh, God, like well I have a wife that I have to figure out yeah. how to talk to God."
1: Yep. You know. Which is funny because in the in the palm reading scene, Kiki even says to him specifically says the words, "You're not bitter." Because yeah. she says, "I, I, I uh, you've seen a lot, seen a lot of, pain. of pain, but you're not bitter. You're a searcher, a seeker of truth. And it's clear with the musical cues there that this is, you're supposed to be very representative of the the the, the cavalier sure. yeah. knight that Sam represents, our white knight. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, But that, yeah, he does have these scenes later on where he gets a little snarky. And he's a little snarky with... Commander Harding and he's so there's yeah. so it is interesting the juxtaposition of those two things.
0: Yeah, and I and I will say not to contradict myself what I said earlier about giving the season more of a pass and more more leniency, like there's some incidental music in and in, in the early on. But <laughs> <In> an <laughs> earlier scene and this one too, is like, ah, oh, you can kinda tell they they slashed that orchestra yeah, down because the music kinda it, it sticks out uh, Yeah.
1: There's some some of the music in particular in the future scenes of Killin' Time is the same way, I feel like. Where you're just sort of like, oh, yeah, they really
0: they, 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 they skipped out on that. They, yeah.
1: So uh, after the palm reading scene, we do get introduced to Billy. Um, it's interesting to note, and I don't, I, I, I unfortunately did not do this particular bit of research, but it's interesting to note that Sam has leapt into a captain, an officer mm-hmm. in the military, and Billy is a sergeant, an enlisted man. Um, Sergeant Billy Johnson is played by the wonderful Michael Boatman. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, one of the things that, of course, fascinates me about his role in this particular episode is that he is on the heels of China Beach, Mm -hmm. um, which is, of course, a show that was set in Vietnam for its first few seasons. Um, And his character is uh, named Sam Beckett. Mm. So he played a character named Sam Beckett. No relation um, to the playwright. No relation to the playwright, which is something that's brought up in the very first episode. Although, one of the things about his character is that he is experiencing a lot of existential angst. Uh, It's interesting because his character in China Beach is is kind of a mortician. He works in the the graves department. So basically, he has to prepare the bodies of of KIA soldiers to send home to Mm -hmm. the United States. Um, and one of the existential experiences that he is having you know as a black man is that the formaldehyde and the chemicals that he uses on these soldiers to prepare their bodies for a return is turning his hands white, uh, which of course has so many layers, especially mm-hmm. with you know, the critical commentary, of course, that black soldiers were being sent over to fight a white man's war in Vietnam, and um, et cetera. And so it's just, it, he's, he's wonderful in the role, incredible in the role. The show itself is incredible and well worth tracking down. It's a little expensive, but they had to price it a little higher because of music rights. Anyway, um, he's fantastic in that. He's fantastic mm-hmm. in, in this role. And he would, of course, go on to, to play uh, a role in Spin City, uh, the Michael J Fox comedy um, as well uh, his character in that Carter, Carter Haywood um, and and is still working to this day recently uh, most recently seen in the good Fight um, which of course is a CBS all access all
0: access yeah. you know have't have it for a while for several months I conflated the good fight with the good place oh <laughs> Because I knew Ted Danson was on The Good Place, and I thought, like, kind of post his stint on CSI, he had, like, taken a turn to be, like, a dramatic actor. Sure. And so, and then once I figured out that those two were not the same show, uh, they were very different shows, and I was pissed nobody told me how good The Good Place was. But anyway. Yeah. Which it
1: is. (laughs) It is. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another uh, he was also um, uh, it's it's worth noting a couple of other things that he did Um, uh, Anger Management uh, the television series based on the film uh, the television program Arliss which is an HBO show oh sure Um, he played oh, Stanley, Stanley Babson in that show uh, for 48 mm. episodes. Uh, 180, 145 episodes of Spin City uh, in total. But, but yeah.
0: lasted for more than 48 episodes? It did, indeed. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. all right. Fair, um, fair. Um,
1: but, uh, uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, obviously a, a well-known um, television actor for the most part, and, and, and quite superb. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're introduced to him, he is having an argument with uh his girlfriend slash fiancee. It's mm-hmm. a little ambiguous. Yeah. Um and she, of course, is has kind of reached her breaking point. It's clear that she wants to be with him. Yeah. That she doesn't understand why he won't let her in. Mm-hmm. Um but of course we know that he is paralyzed. Yeah. Um, as it's explained, it seems like it's from the neck down, but there does seem to he does seem to have some control over like his 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 hands his extremities just a little bit. Yeah,
0: that, that that's the thing I've always felt this episode kind of fudges a little bit because they make it clear he's paralyzed from the neck down. Yeah. But yet, obviously, later on in the episode, he has some Contr- he has some control over his wheelchair. Right. Obviously, it's funny. I stumbled upon an article this last week talking about how the neck is much stronger than we actually think that it is. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, maybe that, that, that kind of like fudge it. Sure. But, but yeah, I think it's supposed to be he is fully paralyzed from the neck down. Right. Um, yeah.
1: That's how Al describes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we do see him move his fingers. He does seem to have some sort of upper body strength because he's able to hold himself
0: he's able to throw somewhat upright in the wheelchair. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, a little issue I've always had with this episode. Yeah. It's like, yeah, they they kind of fudge a little bit. It always make it, it, it almost makes me wonder like why couldn't he just been like, you know, paralyzed the like, from the waist down yeah. and so that's a little bit more understandable but then even still like drowning himself like, he's drowning himself by throwing him into the pool because he cannot you know, there's nothing he can do. Right, he, he couldn't, yeah,
1: he wouldn't be able to resist, basically. Sure, yeah. Um, his own his own demise. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll get to that later. Sure.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: But, but he uh, obviously, you know, has given up on himself in any prospect of, of marriage. Yeah. So he, you know, sends her packing and she leaves the room crying. Because
0: Al um, says it's a lot easier to kill yourself if nobody cares.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Al has a really interesting line here as she storms out, by the way. Um And I really love it when he says, you know, who would dump a woman like that? His line reading on that is not at all the lecherous Al, that's a hot lady and how could he let her go? It is very much an appreciation of the fact that she is trying to stick by him Mm -hmm. and trying to be compassionate and understanding and, and, and is willing to say, yes, I know that you are paralyzed. I want to be with you. I love you. I don't love your condition you know, that, that sort of sure. thing. Um, I love you unconditionally. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and I think that his line reading hits that. And it's really, really nice because I think it would be very, very easy. You know, we love Dean Stockwell. He's fantastic. But it would be sure. easy for him and it would be easy for the director and easy for the writer, etc., to make it into like a... How could he let a beautiful woman like that go? You know what I mean? Sure, And, and, yeah. it's, and, I, and it's deeper than that. And I appreciate that.
0: Sure. It occurs to me that they... They they could have done some stuff. They could have uh, let Al be a little bit bitter, a little bit. Uh, I mean, just like here is a woman who is willing to wait through no matter yep. what. So we have that, and then we also have Julie, who's going to come back here in a little bit and announce that she's leaving and whatever, and given Al's history with Beth, there. Uh, it could have been that a path they could have gone is like Al, just like even just like one or two lines, like express a little bit of bitterness in there, but yeah. they but they don't. Like, they don't even acknowledge it. Yeah. You know what I mean? The the owl that we see in this episode
1: is an owl that I love dearly. Mm. He's an owl that checks Sam yeah. on the pithy comment about, oh, great, I know her first name. She probably knows mine. We'll have a ton to talk about. And he, and he he And he puts Sam in his place by, like, could be worse, you could be in that chair for the rest of your life. Yeah. And you can see it on Sam's face. It's just sort of like, uh, right, right. Yeah, I'm being yeah, an asshole, yeah. thank you for, for calling me on it. Yeah. And then of course he has his incredibly beautiful monologue sure. at Billy's bedside. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I agree with that, I'm almost glad that we don't get it in a way. Yeah. However, I think that's because I'm a fan of the show, He's doing a podcast about this show, and so I feel like I have a working knowledge enough of this character to know that that has got to be present for him, even if we're not seeing it explicitly. Sure. The flip side of that being... That maybe maybe because not everybody is, yeah. That it would have been helpful to have something in
0: there. There's information there, yeah. But also, this would have been a great six season episodes because this could have been an Al post mirror image. Mm-hmm. Who who does have Beth? Yeah. Not much room for fan wink in this episode, but there's <laughs> yeah yeah right right, right. Um
1: so we get when we get this we also get this moment shortly after uh that's quite nice and, and very well done between Sam and Kiki where she's helping him unpack um, and mm. you know she's joking about like you know I, how do you guys pack these things there's a there's a great familiarity that Kiki has with these soldiers and with with these men and and and, and as sometimes stereotypical almost as her character is written Mm -hmm. um, to be kind of this good time girl. And I don't mean that in in like a sexual way necessarily. I just mean like she's very much like um, part of the service that she provides as a volunteer isn't just moral support mm-hmm. like I think there is an aspect of like this is a good looking woman who comes through and treats us nicely and understands us sure. and has an affinity for us and I think that that is a part of what she does Yeah,
0: I've, it, it, I mean I'm sure because you only have like so many minutes in a television episode Right, it is weird how they kind of like conflate and like pile up her job duties like she's a volunteer but also at the same time she's the one who brings Billy his wheelchair in the episode later on That, uh, uh-huh. but then uh, that also saves us from you know
2: Right. Introducing us to another
0: character. And it also gives a little weight for it Kiki. Economizes like, that story. Yeah, like, like <laughs> she's the one who brings him the thing that, that he almost uses as a, as a tool to help him take his home. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, of course, she pulls out Ron's shoes mm-hmm. out of the duffel bag. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, there's a moment um, between them. And, you know, one of the things that, again, that Sam does so well throughout the course of this episode, he really takes on Ron's loss of of his limbs in a very personal manner Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know it gave me a greater appreciation and and, and a greater sense of empathy for that character Mm -hmm. than if it would have just been like well Sam
0: didn't lose his legs so he's fine yeah I I think it's important to acknowledge to jump back to uh, one of the very first scenes of the episode they do clarify maybe for the first time viewer who might be confused? They do clarify that Sam does have his legs, right? That and, Sam uh, in, could a con- get up. In, in a conversation between between Sam and Al. They do, yeah, they yeah. do. Uh, yeah, at another point, but then I lost it. It was gone. It'll come back. to me. I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it'll come back to me later on. Um, and so, of course, after oh, no, no. no, no, no. Right, yeah. it's like uh, this is the uh, the only thing close to before where Sam had to fake something different about himself other than, like, being a woman was, like, when he leaped into the blind piano player and he mm-hmm. had to pretend to be blind. Yep. Like, this is far beyond, you know, far beyond that of, like, he has, like, right missing. So this is by far the most disabled that yeah. he has been in any episode.
1: And I, and, and, and I say this gently because I'm not trying to draw comparisons between the, the, the two conditions, but it almost it, it's almost reminiscent in some ways of Jimmy... Because there are times when Sam struggles. And it's different because there seems to be a very definite line between Sam and Jimmy. But Sam is clearly experiencing some, like, some clumsiness and some mm-hmm. things that might be more Jimmy than Sam. But they seem two very different separate people. This episode, Sam is seems to be embracing, and that might be the wrong word to use, but he seems to be embracing a certain... Um, Understanding mm. and, and empathy of Ron's situation and of him you know having the loss of limbs uh, and and so the, the line gets blurred a little bit as you watch this episode between Sam and Ron mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that it gives me a deeper appreciation for Ron and it's also a wonderful display of Sam's compassion and understanding of the people's lives that he is leaping into and affecting
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it, that seems to be so far honestly starts to seem like oh' it's, it's, it's a theme of this season mm-hmm. More so than we've seen in season four, and even the latter half of season three, I would argue. Mm-hmm. This seems to be a very aware Sam. Like yeah. a, a Sam who understands the effect he's having on the people around him.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe it's a thing, you know, with Lee Harvey Oswald, we've introduced this concept of m- melding mm. with the person. And so, like, maybe it's a little bit of that. Like, he's not necessarily taking on personality traits, which we are going to see in, like, some later episodes right. this season. But it's a little bit more of... Yes, taking on ownership of their of their life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, th- that's a great way of putting it. He does take ownership of Ron's life in, in, in a really lovely way at points in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, beyond our introduction to Billy, we mm-hmm. now also get the introduction between Sam and Billy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Billy has the line about how many holes there are in the ceiling tiles. Yes. Which Matt actually, in his book, points out the fact that his Probably math might off. be a little off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is which is wonderful, and I love Matt for that. That he took the time to actually like you yeah. know count the number of holes in the panel, and then I've
0: been I've been going back to and reading the book lately, like the, like the timeline at the end of the book of yeah. like every single event ever listed in Quantum Leap. Matt is very. Uh, fastidious and, 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 and documenting everything, so yes. And
1: and and you know what? We love him for it because he's provided us with, bar none, the, the greatest resource yeah. that we could possibly have. Um, but uh, there's this again, you know, using my catchphrase of the day, existential angst, uh-huh. understandably so, that Billy is carrying with him to the point where all he can do is lie there and stare at the ceiling. And so, what has he done? he's counted the holes Hmm. and Sam has this appreciation for it almost like you counted all the holes
2: Hmm.
1: and then Billy says, I named them. them." (sighs) That is heavy. Mm -hmm. Um, That's like, I named all the stars in the sky, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. um, and Sam tries and this is, Again, I think Sam taking ownership of the situation that he's in tries to kind of start up a relationship and a friendship with uh, uh, Billy, and you know Billy's just not having it. You know, yeah. like Al says, he doesn't want to have anything to hold on to because it's a lot easier to kill yourself when you don't have anything.
0: Yeah. So between, uh, so we kind of have two scenes in the room, with, like with Billy, like in between like the the two scenes we just talked about. Uh, Sam and Al, they step down to the janitor's room yes, for a little bit to try to discuss something. Yeah. And something I've noted, just a little thing, Al jumps around a lot short distances with the hand link in this set. <laughs> like, he could just walk 10 <sighs> steps, but no. Yeah. <sighs> <clears throat> uh, jumps down. So uh, they have the discussion in the janitor's closet. This is where it's confirmed that Billy's body is going to be found in the pool. Monday morning. Right. So sometime in the next two days, we don't know.
1: No, I, um, to interject, I will say that the interesting thing about this is, it's like, how the hell did he get into the pool? And it does almost, because we've been introduced to the orderly, there is clearly a small amount of suspicion cast on, like, does does he get pushed in? Does
0: he get dropped in? Does he get... You know what I mean? Mm, no. Well, I, I feel like I mean, there is. They, they, I mean, like, almost immediately, like, like, when we meet Billy in that very first scene, and it's like right before we go to a commercial break, Al says, with a very with the music and everything it's very heavy handed and it's in its way of it's a lot easier to kill yourself if nobody cares
1: right but I think the question that gets raised in the scene is how does he get there
0: I get your point I guess I've I've, I've never thought about there being like a, a question of like does does Holt do it okay but hey that no is, that's fair but yeah that's that's a possibility yeah this is a thought that came to me yeah that could have been a twist what a terrible twist it would have been. I mean, no, I mean, it could have been a twist like, like maybe they, they suspected foul play, and it turns out like, no, he does kill. He did, yeah. Him. I don't, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. but then that takes away a lot of the drama. It does. Right?
1: It totally does. Which is why I think that Holt is an unnecessary character. <laughs> I, I, you know, know what though, he, that guy got paid.
0: Yeah, he got, he got. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't disagree. Uh, um, so yeah, and then um, when Kiki and Billy are, or when um, Kiki and Sam are having the scene. Uh, Involving the shoes and unpacking the bag, that's when the like the little corporal or whatever shows up to say, hey, uh, Harding, Harding wants again. to see you again. What's up? Oh, I think your wife's here. Yeah. And this is where we meet April O'Neil.
1: That's right. Um, Judith Hoag, who played April O'Neil in the very first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, uh, she did not uh, reprise her role. Um, that would be taken w- over w- by w- Paige Turco.
0: I wonder what choice I was.
1: I, I always preferred the first April. Me too yeah me too i thought she was fantastic um very long career i mean you know has worked in film and television um all over the place uh um starting in the mid 80s um and you know going right up until today um most recently was on the television show the magicians uh, playing the character stephanie quinn nashville is another recent one um but yeah, I, I mean, someone who's worked a lot, and I want to just give her all the praise in the world, because mm-hmm. this is an incredibly, in my opinion, difficult character, and she elevates that character mm-hmm. to someone that I don't hate,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not as a human being, not as an actor, not, like, I don't look at this as being like, Jesus, this is like, you know, mm-hmm. TV movie of the week, soap opera bullshit or whatever, like, she definitely elevates the role um, and, and they only give her three scenes. Yeah. And let's face it, she gets to, you know, occupy that space with Scott and Scott is fantastic in the scenes as well. Mm-hmm. But the scene that they have outside by the tree is just so lovely. You know, mm-hmm. it's like she, it would be so easy to just hate her and loathe her. Like she can't even really look at him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, she's clearly having a difficult time here. Um, Sam is not making things easier. By not realizing a couple of things, uh, like that his mother had a stroke, for instance, mm-hmm. that one of their very best friends who helped introduce them died in a helicopter crash yeah. in Vietnam. But um, he, does, he,
0: he does he does take a swing with your hair is different.
2: Yes, <laughs>
1: <laughs> which is you've changed your hair, <laughs> which is kind of amusing because her response is I let it grow out, but she has her hair put up. Yes, yeah. so, so it's not even like down. Yeah, um, but it's a lovely heartbreaking scene mm-hmm. and. And I don't say this to argue your earlier point, but there is a moment that at the very end of the scene when Al comes in, that gives a little bit of weight to what happened to Al, because Mm -hmm. he does have that wonderful line, they told us the war was over when we left Vietnam, Mm -hmm. and it's just sort of, it's, it's, a lot about this episode could seem a little cliched, Mm -hmm. um... But it never it never hits that it's 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 elevated far beyond that, and, sure. and 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 again the way that Stockwell handles that, and knowing what we know about Al, mm-hmm. and having seen what we just seen, I think it lands really well.
0: Yeah, and also think about what we learned later on in the episode how hard it is for Julie. Like she was probably planning on leaving her husband anyway, right? And now he's lost his legs. Yeah. God damn it.
1: Well, and not to <laughs> skip ahead, but yeah. that, and, and that is a beautiful part of the writing, mm-hmm. I think, as well. So good on you, Tommy Thompson. But one of the things that we do learn later on is that she was planning to leave him before he lost his legs.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That she had already met someone else. Now, granted, she was still, you know, meeting someone while her husband is off in Vietnam. Sure. But, yeah, it it was compounded now by the fact that oh, God, you know, mm-hmm. here he he's come back and he's lost his legs. Sure. Um, how do I tell him this? Mm. Um, and, of course, she leaves in tears and upset and Sam is having difficulty figuring out trying to connect. Uh, this is... Is this when we learn... Yes, this is when we learn that Al,
0: by way of Ziggy, believes that Sam is there to keep them together. They're, because they're, uh, one, one of their sons, sons is going to... Follow in Dad's footsteps. Ugh. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and save uh, and save a number of people. And this is a connection that I did not make. I picked it up from uh, from Matt's book. Um, uh, in a battle involving, uh, I, I put it down here somewhere uh, uh, in Kasan, which has a connection with uh, the the sergeant from Lee Harvey Oswald. Mm. Oh, that's yes. right. Those two—he
1: does a nice fan wink. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. Uh, so yeah, there there could be a little connection there. But yeah, this is this is uh, becomes why it's important for for Sam and Julie or Ron and Julie to stay together is because their children supposedly or uh, one of their their sons will eventually go on and, and save a number of men in a battle in the Gulf War. Yeah, um, which I. And also, I remember at the time, like, even as a kid watching this episode, like, sticking out of me, like, the Gulf war then had just happened. Like, it was, like, right. like, It was like a year before. It was very fresh. It was, like, one of those things, like, where they truly brought something going on currently, and they brought it yeah. into the show. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and to think that as far as the future history of Quantum Leap exists, that they wouldn't have even been that far removed. You know, we're talking about, like, seven or eight years
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the projects past, yeah. Um, you know, and then like you're saying, a year or two in, in as a current watcher of the shows, past. Yeah, it's interesting to note. I think, t- for context' sake, that to have the Vietnam War um, so heavy over this episode, mm-hmm. to touch on a war like Desert Storm, which at the time was viewed in such an incredibly different lens mm-hmm. as as a video game war that we watched unfold on television with the 24-hour news cycle. Yeah. Whereas Vietnam, even in its time, was presented, especially by the time this episode was taking place, as a very awful, horrible thing where you were seeing soldiers die live mm-hmm. on television. Not live, excuse me, but see, did, yeah. you know, on television in a way that you had never seen before. And, and you know, a, a lot of people have made the statement that Vietnam was the first televised war and to think that, you know, 20 some years later that Desert Storm was televised in a completely different way and looked at in a completely different way. It was celebrated. There were fucking trading cards for God's sakes. I had them. I know. You know, there were mm-hmm. there was literally a trading card set. Yeah, uh, it made celebrities of people like Norman Schwarzkopf. And it, it, you know, it was it was such a different war to view. Yeah, compared to Vietnam. And I almost wonder if in a way, this, there was supposed to be a little bit of subtext there saying, like, remember what war does to the men that fight it. Because even though you might be viewing this war in a very different way and through a different lens than what we viewed Vietnam, the men who are coming back from this war Mm -hmm. are going to be in a similar shape to the men that came back from Vietnam because that's what war does to human beings. And we now know, Mm -hmm. given time that we've had, and of course a second Iraqi war and a war in Afghanistan, we know now without a doubt that that is true. Mm -hmm. That soldiers that came back from Vietnam with the PTSD that they experienced... the echo of that reverberates in these wars that we have today and that the suicide rates in particular of soldiers Uh, that have fought in Iraq and Afghanistan has skyrocketed. mm -hmm. And so while Hardig can make his flippant comments about survival rates and everything and how they've gone up to 85% and isn't that amazing and that the survival rates are even higher now that the suicide rate among those soldiers Mm -hmm. which... To be clear, up until about eight years ago was not acknowledged mm-hmm. as being, you know, killed yeah. in, in the line of duty and you would not be given a presidential letter of condolence. That was something that, that the Obama administration changed um, because of a, a campaign that was that was started by uh, the father of mm-hmm. a soldier named Chancellor Kiesling. Um, and, and, and it's it's just important to note, I think, and contextualize mm-hmm. that in '68 the way that this war was viewed in 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 93 the way that desert storm would have been viewed and vietnam would have been viewed and now today how we view those things and how you know the 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 progression that that we have seen and yet at the same time no progress has actually been made
0: Mm -hmm. it's interesting uh uh, I find a, a lot of interesting, like, like little tangent tributaries that go up here. One, like, I just recently read, uh, talking about how the Vietnam War was portrayed in media, how it went from, like, the end of the war in the mid-70s up into, like, the mid-80s, and, like, like, the mid-to-late-70s Vietnam vets, uh, vets were almost, uh, vilified in, in the media and in entertainment, mm-hmm. um... Like, they were something to be afraid of. Like, that was part of an element of uh, the movie Taxi Driver. Yeah. um, Of uh, soldiers coming back with PTSD and these different psychoses. Like, how were they going to reintegrate into society? And by the mid to late 80s, we had kind of taken this turn of uh, glorifying and lifting up Vietnam vets as we came to understand, like, what they had been through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of, but by this point, like, by the time the Gulf War is brought up in Quantum Leap, like, the Gulf, the first Gulf War was a very short, successful war. Right. And I'm interested to see how would that have that played out in the early 90s if that war had not, had gone so well. Yeah. Like Like, the first, like, real, like, video game war, as you called it, what would it have been like if it did not go well? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just find that interesting. Uh, also, there's a book I read a few months ago. Uh, I looked it up on my phone here. It's called Tribe by Sebastian Younger. Oh yeah. Oh god. Uh, have you read this book? I Did haven't you know? read that, but I read another one of his books. Uh, but but uh, the the thesis of Tribe talks about soldiers in the military uh, back in you know World War II, Vietnam, and today. And his argument that he makes from from reading and the research that he has done. Is that uh, today there are more cases of PTSD reported by soldiers now than there were in Vietnam and more than World War II, which you really it almost doesn't seem to make sense because uh, because of technology and almost because some of the cliches that, that Hartig throws out in the one scene, uh, more soldiers see less battle and in the injuries that they sustain. Are well, they they sustain less injuries and they recover physically better from them because of the technology that we have now. But as a society, we have become more and more individualized, individualistic, and isolated. He makes the argument that soldiers now coming back from war, the PTSD they are experiencing are not so much battle-related. It's the fact that when you go into military service you experience a uh, trying to a, a general term you know what i mean uh, they experience uh, a brotherhood a togetherness a tribe that's the title of the book right, right. you experience something that just more and more does not exist in regular everyday life in the us right and ptsd that they're experiencing is that loss of a tribe
1: yeah yeah, and, and you know, the, I think the thing that is interesting about that is that he um, also directed a documentary called um, Restrepo, mm-hmm. uh, which I've seen a, a lot of times. Um, I, I used it as, as research for a role I had once time. But um, in that documentary, he's talking with a lot of these soldiers after they've come back from Afghanistan, and he's also, of course, you know, combining that with footage that he shot while he was there with them in one of the most dangerous locations on the face of the planet at the time uh, the Korngal Valley. And he asks one of the soldiers immediately after a firefight, like there's still smoke in the air. Um, and this soldier is standing there and you can just, I mean, see the waves of adrenaline pouring off of this soldier, you know, not to get too metaphysical. And he's asked, what are you going to do when you get home? And his response is, I have no idea, but the way that he says it, Mm -hmm it is I, I, I it, it is so chilling you know there's mm-hmm. this there's this feeling of fear uh, of uh, sort of um, an idealization mm-hmm. you know of what home could be like compared to what this is like and yet nothing will ever come close and this is part of the thing that's discussed in the, in the, the book that also touches on what happens in, in Restrepo Uh, because there's a book version of it, basically, that the feelings that are created when you are in a firefight and survive, that there is, and some soldiers say this even, that there is no greater high that they have ever experienced in their life, which is why substance abuse is such a huge problem for so many of these soldiers that come home, because they're in search of a feeling of something that they can't get back it, because there, it, it, I mean, can you, I mean, we can only imagine, I can only imagine what it would be like to be in that life or death situation and come through it. And, and it's just something that, that preys upon them. Um, to, to throw some numbers out there real quick, there's a, a current statistic that indicates that an average of 20 veterans die from suicide per day. Um, that in 2012 alone, an estimated 7,500 former military personnel died by suicide. That in 2012, more active duty service members succumbed to suicide that year than were killed in combat. Um, that the Army suffered 52% of those suicides out of all branches of the military. Um, to to put a little comparison into to to numbers within the decade of 2000 to 2010, um, that five um, five point two women out of 100,000 who never served in the military died by suicide. That number increases to 28.7 when you factor in veterans and active service military personnel. Wow. On the men's side, it's twenty point nine out of one hundred thousand that never served in the military. Veterans and active service personnel, it's thirty two point one out of one hundred thousand. You can see the disparity there in the numbers. Mm. Um, it, 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 I mean, it's a huge, huge problem. And, and to not, you know, get off on, on, on too much more of a tangent, but um, it's it's something that this episode. Uh, deals with in a way that I don't know that we were seeing, quite frankly, um, a lot of Uh at the time. Um, and so I can, I I can appreciate that for what it is. Uh Um, certainly worth, you know, throwing out here at this point. Um, you know, I think that just out of, out of due diligence that, you know, suicide prevention org is the website um, and one 800 is the phone number that you can call, you know, if, 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 there are any of these issues that are affecting you or mm-hmm. someone that you love or know, um, certainly worth just throwing out there since we are having this conversation. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um,
0: there's a main episode that goes up with content warning. <laughs> <Right.
1: laughs> yeah. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, all, all that is to say that the, 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 depiction that we see of this in Billy's struggle um, and the way that Sam, um, I think is, is trying to deal with it and help him deal with it as he tries different tactics early on in this episode and through the midpoint of this episode, um, show a sensitivity, mm. um, that I don't know that we had really seen a whole lot from popular entertainment I mean when you think about the last depiction that we had seen really of Vietnam veterans and disabled veterans in particular that would have been in the popular consciousness it had to have been born on the 4th of July Mm -hmm. and Oliver Stone's film while being very anti-war and certainly trying to show us the evils of some of these veterans hospitals oddly enough doesn't touch on some of the issues that this one hour piece of television does Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for what it's worth for what it's worth, <laughs> uh, back into the plot of the episode. Uh, so we get back inside, and now we're we're going to the swimming pool. Uh, and Sam has a nice voiceover, like you know, he, you're trying to avoid your fate, and and you're taking right to it because it's worth noting that Al has basically given him strict orders under no but circumstances. Yeah, don't go to the swimming pool. pool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, Billy is being lowered into the pool against his, against his wishes. Yeah. Holt is there antagonizing him. The, the two or three scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Two or three scenes that Holt is in. Yeah. Uh, three or four. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the crux of the scene, the most important thing about the scene is, of course, Sam is there. Uh, Sam gets Billy to tell him how him and Carol Such A beautiful, a beautiful. Romance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a, be- a beautiful story, beautiful little monologue. And then uh, uh, another man in the pole, he slips out of his life jacket. He starts to drown. lifeguard jumps in and saves him. And it, it, like the, the the way it's shot is just really well done. Of of seeing like the camera kind of close in on Billy and like the light bulb go off at his head. And Sam looking at Billy like, "Oh shit!" Like yeah. this is this is where he gets the idea
2: it's
1: a wonderful scene because as far as storytelling goes it does a wonderful job of setting things up for later in a very active we're showing you this way Mm -hmm. while also telling stories about what happened in the past but Mm -hmm. in a very active and engaging manner as Billy shares with Sam Mm -hmm. the story of how you know he and his fiance hiked up this mountain and made love by the fireplace and all of these beautiful life rich life experiences and then he ends the monologue with I was the one that died over there, not her. Which, of course, Sam comes up with, "You're not dead." Mm. Um, and, and 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 yeah, it's just it's just a really really well done scene. We even get that moment. For as much as I necessarily don't like the inclusion of the character, we get this moment where um, Holt, the the orderly eyes sam as sam is eyeing him because he doesn't like the way that hold is treating billy yeah as they're, as they're lowering him into the pool and there's this moment that, 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 that when they lock eyes and he gives him kind of a sick little smile um you can tell that there's gonna be so, there's gonna be something
0: later yeah this is this is two you know what i mean yeah, like the two. first scene was one yeah this is two this is two there's, yeah there will be a three there will be, yeah uh so then we get uh back into Miller's room and so Sam is getting ready to go out to dinner with Julie and him and Al like they have this uh, this conversation of like Sam like like what what should I do with my pant legs or like what like what yeah yeah, yeah, yeah you know like what's good and, and again like reinforcing the idea that Sam Everybody is there knows. Sam is it legs like how how do you how do you do that right uh and I don't know how the episode. I I don't know from a production standpoint, like what differently I would have done to, yeah. to handle to handle it because it would looked really. Because I think practically, Sam should have rolled his pant legs up. Sure, that would have looked really silly to have Scott Bakula with with long pants like rolled up. You know, right? It would have just yeah
1: yeah. It's interesting. Jessica pointed out at one point as we were watching the episode that the way that Scott holds his legs mm-hmm. or his legs are when he's in the wheelchair uh, is very interesting because he doesn't have his feet like out because the yeah. foot pads wouldn't have been put down. Yeah, because but but it's either there's something. Either they've rigged something so that he can rest his legs kind of on on the back, which you can't see, like it was a a behind-the-scenes technical thing, Sure. or or Scott is literally holding his legs back like that the whole time, which I think kind of aids the illusion of that sort of uh, synergy, if you will, that that he has with Ron. Mm -hmm. That even though he knows he has his legs and he could stand up and walk at any time, that he is... Committing to being wheelchair bound, mm-hmm. um, and 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 it was something that I didn't notice or think about too much. Mm-hmm. But she did notice, and she kept. She asked me. She was like, "Is there something back there? Have they tied his legs back? Is it, have they installed a bar that he can rest his feet on?" Like, oh, sure. Was, uh,
0: I, I don't know if there were like so. And I haven't watched it in over a week. Like I don't know if there are like so many scenes where you actually see what Scott Bakula's legs are doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like from the knees right. down. Uh, I mean, it didn't seem like too much out of the realm of possibility that he could just like, you know, during those scenes, like, you know, he should, you know, just have him kick back. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they did something. Yeah,
1: I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, not not a big thing at all, but it is interesting just to kind of point out when we're talking about the the pet pant leg thing, which would have been kind of a technical thing on not only within the show but behind the scenes as well. Yeah, which is interesting. Um, worth noting at this point that Sam is still undressed to a certain degree. Yes. So when Kiki comes in, yeah, he he doesn't have a shirt on. Yeah. Um, and this is going back to what you were saying earlier. Kiki's
0: coming on strong. This is, I mean, this is where, like, before, you know, whatever, being nice, but giving him a massage and blah, blah, blah. And, and the thing is, is at
1: first, when she's just rubbing his shoulders, but then her hands go down her, her hands chest. come down, yeah. And it, that is...
0: That's, that goes from being beyond, like, you know, what she says, like, it's supposed to feel good. It's therapeutic, right? Coming down. Once we get in the nipple play, that's... <laughs> That's that's when it's not So
1: firmware body and wellness, there's no nipple plays? No, no, absolutely
0: no no nipple plays whatsoever. You know, like up around the shoulders, that's one thing. When you work your way down and start asking clockwise or counterclockwise, then it is no longer it is no longer therapeutic. Yeah. Uh, well, then, it could be. It's just a different kind of therapy. Yes, yes. Yeah. There might be a there might be a different kind of worker. Who there might be that work. Yes. <laughs> I am fully supportive. Yes, but anyway, uh, and then Julie walks in, and yeah, and, uh... and we hear her voice before we see her.
3: Yes, uh, yeah. which I
1: think is another nice little bit of, of filmmaking, if you will, because I think as a viewer, it kind of helps you feel as caught as Sam and Kiki are, mm-hmm. and it's clear and they that are caught. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because Sam has a harder time playing it off than Kiki does. Like, Kiki is clearly, like, deer in headlights about it. Sure. But she also is not... Like, she doesn't apologize for it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Not that that she's trying to flaunt it in Julie's face and be like, yeah, I'm touching your husband's chest or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But she's not like... She's not trying to be like, oh, you—that wasn't what you think it was, mm-hmm. or whatever. Whereas Sam is very much, and I think he's still being goal-oriented, mission-oriented. Sam looking at this is like, oh God, I can't have anything happen with Kiki because I got to save my marriage. Here sure, with Julie. Yeah. So, but he is definitely trying to work his way out of it.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, it's
1: worth noting that uh, it was it was Larry uh, Larry Ganny who, who pointed out to us that. Um, you know, last week, Sam's making out with Brooke Shields, and this week, he gets to get a massage from Jennifer Aniston. It's not a yeah. bad gig. <laughs> it's not a bad Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Um, so now they are uh, at the bar, uh, uh, and <laughs> they do a very good job setting it up. It, this is a very anti-war bar the the song that the woman is singing I, I wasn't i meant to look it up like this was an actual it is like yeah, song Eve that of destruction
1: it's funny because the song itself ended up getting a lot of uh airplay radio play it was a protest song uh written in, in 1964 recorded by barry mcguire and uh the funny thing about the song is that a lot of people were were looked down their nose at it, Mm -hmm. because it was very derivative of of Bob Dylan, and they felt like it was basically a, a, a songwriter, because it was written by, like, a professional songwriter, P.F. Sloan, Mm -hmm. and the, and the idea being that somebody was basically just trying to kind of take what Bob Dylan was doing honestly and truthfully, and turn it into something that would make money, even though it was a genuine protest song. Yeah. Um... For what it's worth, yeah. And our our our, our if you will, playing her guitar, uh, she she does an admirable job with it.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so there's a moment of awkwardness because it's uh, they go in and, and Julie's like, "Do you want to go somewhere else?" And like, "No, it's you know, let's you know, let's have dinner here. Let's stay on." So it kind of creates an interesting setting.
1: Yeah. Uh, And I think part of it makes me wonder too Does Sam feel more comfortable and more at home In a bar like this than he would have If they would have gone someplace that would have been Maybe a little bit more conservative and hawkish If you will Mm -hmm. You know like if they'd gone to a bar that had other soldiers Mm -hmm. You know And, And part of it also makes me wonder And this is purely speculative Subtextual stuff But is maybe Sam thinking If we went to another kind of bar We wouldn't get the same kind of privacy That we might have here like here, mm. they're they're probably going to leave us alone. Sure. If we went to another bar, then how big of a chance is there going to be that other soldiers or other people come up to me and are thanking me for my service, buying, trying to buy me a drink, trying to be sure. like, you know, yeah. so sorry about what happened, but thank you for, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. what would the vibe have been? And naturally, in '68 in California, that's pretty unlikely.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah, it does make you wonder. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so they have they have the. They're making small talk. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's yeah, it's really awkward, and we know why it's awkward because yeah. it's it's building, it's building up to something. Yeah. Uh, but before we have a chance to do that, uh, a, a hippie comes over, uh, bumps, bumps into Sam. Sam. Does he spill a little bit of his drink yep. on him? Spills yeah, some of his beer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's cool because one of the things that happens in the scene is that the hippie, his immediate reaction is to offer to buy him another beer. Yeah. Before he notices that Sam doesn't have any legs
0: yeah
1: um in a moment that is also well done that I appreciate it could have been it would have been very easy
2: mm-hmm.
1: to have the hippie turn on Sam as the soldier in the bar and this, sure. is, a, this is an anti-war peace and love bar what are you doing here baby killer yeah. and instead there is a much more human compassionate moment mm-hmm. that occurs here
0: yeah um so is this a good point to, to I drop think it so yeah uh so this is uh, a, a rarity uh, but we, uh, we had a chance to interview uh, David Anthony Marshall, the actor who does play the, the hippie that bumps into Sam. Uh, we came to know uh, David, or I came to know him, over two years ago. Uh, we were doing the podcast then, and we were like in the middle of the second season then. And uh, a Facebook friend of mine, uh, and someone who I know in real life, Michelle, who I know through the massage world uh before she was an actor she lived in new york for a while she actually had a recurring role um as defending counsel on one of the law and orders uh, i think it would have been like the original law and order for a time uh but she was friends with david so she connected us and so we we shot a quick message like hey we'll talk to you when we get to season five and so and so now we're here yeah, uh, so uh, David uh, Marshall, he lives in Evanston. We're in Chicago. We're pretty close, but uh, we did a, a video interview uh, yeah. anyway. So uh, we ended up talking for over an hour earlier today. Uh, a lot of good stuff about about his time in, in, uh, in the industry, and and very much like many of our episodes, we went on tangents about Star Trek and art, and theater and film, and all of that. What we are going to do today is we are going to drop in an edited section where we just talk specifically about this episode of Quantum Leap and a little bit how he came to be cast in the episode and then next week, for next week's episode, we are going to drop in the entire interview, in case you want to, in case you want to listen to that.
1: Yeah, kind of as a bonus episode because I, I, one of the things that Dennis and I talked about after we were finished speaking with David is that we felt like it was... It was a very, it was a fun, very good interview with a lot mm-hmm. of really interesting, you know, stories, and, and, and he's got such a great perspective in general on, you know, just art and, and science mm-hmm. fiction and genre fiction, which was really interesting to, you know, kind of, like, connect with. It's like, oh, we're all sci-fi geeks here. Let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and so it was, I thought it was it was a good conversation worth putting out there mm-hmm. in, in total, as, as opposed to just limiting it to the, to the Quantum Leap comments. But we also didn't want to...
0: We already did one three-hour episode this <laughs> season. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. for the sake to take a brevity yeah. for this one. Uh, here's the Quantum Leap section, and then we'll drop you the, the other stuff next week.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they left it, apparently. I, you know, I didn't watch the entire, all of it, all the time. I love the sure. show, you know what I mean? But I didn't, like, watch the whole all thing. I can binge it now and probably watch all of it, but... Um, but I've seen that lately they've been talking about how, you know, it didn't end. There's, it kind of makes you, gives you the impression that Sam never got to go home. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, they, they, they throw a title card up at the last yeah. thing. And it was like really hastily thrown together. Like it was so thrown together, they misspelled his name in the title card.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, so yeah, they're talking about rebooting it. And there's a contingent of fans who, like they don't want the show to come back if the original actors can't come back. And they yeah. can't, because, like Dean Stockwell had a stroke five years ago, and like, right. like, re, like he's very private, but reportedly, like he he's lost all of his memories of ever having been an actor. So it's like he he can't come back. <laughs> so it's, but yeah,
2: yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah, they have to. You know what they? I mean, the, oddly enough, what's funny is that the, with the tech now, if they spent enough money, they could piece it together and recreate his character, you know, through CGI. Yeah, sure. Oh, and, yeah, and. And just and just cre- recreate him. They could you know they, they computerize him, right? And it, it'd be weird, but they could do it because he was always a little fuzzy to look at anyway. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you could keep it that way if you reboot it. But and besides, you could also you could also make it so that he uh, wasn't Dean Stockwell anyway. You know what I mean? That all of a sudden now he's got a new persona, but it's the same guy. You know, same person with all the same memories. I guess yeah. Wait, to work around that if you really wanted to, but I don't know that you really want to. I mean, I right? Mean, yeah, I love Scott to come back and actually recreate and be the main character. He's the only one that would be really necessary. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. One else, no one else would really be necessary. So, yeah. but I don't know.
0: That's anyway, just
3: me. Yeah, I'm a, I am a sci-fi
0: geek fan. <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> nice. Yeah, awesome.
1: Um, anyway. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because you, you mentioned that, and um, we uh, oftentimes, just because being sci-fi geeks ourselves, uh, we'll we'll talk a little bit about other actors who have guested on Quantum Leap that have also done work on Star Trek, and so yeah. uh, you did a couple episodes of, of Voyager, we were talking about that before uh, we had the chance to ring you, um, and you got to uh, originate the role of Seven of Nine's father, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah,
3: it's, it's funny because it was one episode, but it got split into two. I, I inadvertently did two episodes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, okay. I mean, so um, and and AI, it is interesting to be listed as the guy, you know, because it's such a flashback, quick sort of thing. Right. You really get a chance to do a whole lot of, you know, it wasn't like the it, you're not it's not like playing Seric, you know what I mean? Sure. You're, yeah. You're, you're just a memory, which is interesting.
1: Uh, how did uh i how did you get the the role um in the episode nowhere to run
3: it was just a, a an audition that i got sent on uh on a on a regular basis i would head over to that studio you know and audition for uh i think that was a Belisarius situation yeah mm-hmm. term, yep. term, yeah because i did nightman too i did an episode of nightman which was a goofy goofy show <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah but uh but, you know, I mean, he was making, he, he was doing his thing. I, you know, what originally, I, I kind of got into that genre, that kind of push for a lot of auditions like that because of uh, uh, the earlier roles that I had. Um, and, you know, what was interesting, it kind of came in a flurry. I, I went and I auditioned for this pilot called The Owl. Okay. Which was with Adrian Paul. And uh, Adrian and I both auditioned for the lead, and that he got the lead. I ended up not getting the lead, but then getting cast as one of the bad guys. So he and I worked on the pilot. The thankfully it didn't get picked up <laughs> uh, because it was tra- it was trying to uh, trying to work off of the popularity of The Crow. Mm. Oh my God! All right. Yeah. yeah. So what it did is it had him running around as the owl and he would say, hoot, hoot, dirtbag and stuff like that. Oh, and throw man. Off, throw, throw out daggers from this cloak that he had that had the owl heads on him. And, you know, it just, it was, it was really goofy, but that kind of led to a string of other auditions for things like, you know, Nightman and then also Quantum Leap. I had two auditions for Quantum Leap that didn't go through and then I ended up getting this one.
0: Okay. Mm. Do you remember what the other two auditions were for? episodes or general, like, idea of, like, what the roles were?
3: I really actually
0: don't. No, that's, that's, that's fair. It's been, like, 28 years <laughs> at this point, also, yeah.
3: You know what? A lot of times there were look sees where it was like... Oh, you, sure, yeah. You went in and you weren't sure exactly what they were going to want. You know, there may not have been a side to read something like that. But this was interesting. I liked this because it it didn't even have that much dialogue at all. It's just, it's just a moment that is kind of nice in terms of realization. Sure. Totally. yeah. And uh, you know, I mean, I, I family members who had been to Nam and everything.
1: That kind of it kind of stuck with me. So I I liked it, even though that wig was so freaking huge. You know. <laughs> no, it was a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I really loved about the scene, um, and I don't know, this might kind of play into what you were just talking about, is that it it would have been very very easy uh, to write the scene as the hippie coming up to Sam and, you know, calling him a baby killer or whatever. But, but instead, there's yeah. a lot of compassion in the moment and the fact that you leave him with the piece, you know. <laughs> so I, like, I, I really like that aspect of it quite a lot.
3: That's exactly what, I, what, I, what, what attracted me was that, you're right, it would have been such an easy slide for, to show some protesting, you know, anti-war sentiment. And, uh, and what's interesting about the scene and about honoring someone who had sacrificed it means it doesn't mean that you're pro war it doesn't mean that you're happy about what he did or what he was or what he how you know uh what he became the foil for you understand the human side of it and you recognize the the connection at that point and it's so uh, and i yeah not to belabor it, but yeah, it's it's one of those small moments of humanity that, that it's great for us to all recognize. You know what I mean? you yeah, sure. Goofy in the stories, you want to look at those things. I mean, please, you can watch Galaxy Quest and cry if you're looking for the right, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if you're that kind of person. And I, I love it when our, these, you know, self-professed sci-fi geeks, you know, you know, do get emotional about certain things and talk about certain things. Because what we've done is we've recognized humanity and even the most fantastical of moments and that's the best that and if we can do that then think how easy it is just to see it in mundane life you know what i mean if you can see it in the midst of mordor you know Mm -hmm. yeah you can and you can get touched and and enthralled by the fact that there's some kind of connection between humans or connection between entities people feelings you know Uh, it's it's important. It's highly important. So, yeah, and that's one of the things I did like about that show overall. You know, I mean, I liked I liked the fact that he was being put in other people's shoes constantly. Yeah, mm-hmm. constantly being put in other people's shoes. Imagine, imagine if there had been some Shane Black sort of backstory to Scott's character to Sam. <laughs> yeah, that, sh- that showed that he was a racist, that he was a hedonist, You he, know, that he was, a, you know what I mean? That he was this very, very, very corrupted human being. Yeah. And yeah. they're forced to do this. Right. Yeah. You know? And then it's kind of like, do you remember the Twilight Zone movie with Vic Morrow's character? Okay. Which was sadly, sadly ended in his death, actually, when, uh, you know, Hughes decided to use choppers, which was... Oh, so yeah. Stupid. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but his character... You know, who was just such a jerk and a racist at the bar, and he ends up walking out of the bar, and he gets thrown on a train like a Jew, and then, you know, yeah, and then he's running from dogs like a runaway slave, or, you know what I mean, and then he's running through the jungle, like, you know what I mean, so it's forced to live in the shoes of somebody else.
0: Sure, yeah.
3: And and learn, so... Yeah, i dug that a lot about that show, actually. And and besides the fact, too, it was just anything fantastical in the 80s, we all watched.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) I, I think it's great, too, because that particular period of time, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, you know, and even, even into the rest of the 90s was such a great time for, uh, you know, sort of sci-fi and fantasy on television. And you, you, you yeah. had, um, you know, obviously like something like Star Trek Next Generation, but Twilight Zone had the reboot. You had Quantum Leap. You'd get shows like Babylon 5, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, The X-Files, etc. Which you did
3: an episode of Babylon 5. <laughs> 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 well, that ends up happening. Yeah. I you know what's funny is I look back on that episode I rewatched that episode and I, I'd forgotten that I stood around hanging and talking with Jennifer Aniston and didn't even oh really of, you know because she hadn't become Rachel yet right you know?
0: this was like two years before yeah yeah
3: yeah. So it's so I I had no idea. She was just an actress. She was just a nice girl to stand around and talk to at craft service. You right. Know what I mean?
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. I you. Yeah.
3: You know what I mean? And it's weird when that happens. I mean, you know, Brad and I, you know, bounced off each other all the time at different auditions, and we'd done a movie together. So it was no big. You know, as he became a huge superstar, that was. You know, I mean, you you kind of. You recognize that, like if you saw him in a couple, later at an audition or something, you know, oh, he's on the rise. Yeah, know, sure, yeah.
1: But one of the things that I did want to ask you, you kind of mentioned something along these lines earlier. But when you're dealing with something that that is heavy, and this episode deals with. Um, Vietnam and, and disabled veterans uh, and, and PTSD, um, yeah. and 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 coming into it and having the role that you had and, and the way that they sort of set up the bar to you know to the point where you know uh, Scott's character the, his wife even asks him like are you sure you want this place um, can you can you talk a little bit about the setting and 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 even you know your opinions on the choice to have them go to this bar where you know there's a singer on stage singing Eve of destruction and blowing in the wind. And, and people are, you know, in the very much the, you know, that spirit of 68 free love, hippie garb, including your character, as opposed to having them go to, you know, a fancy restaurant or some, you know,
3: yeah. Some army safe, bar or whatever. The, yeah. The, some safe, conservative, uh, you know, possibly, possibly almost war hawkish, you know, you know, military, sure. yeah. you know,
1: exactly. um,
3: You know, at the time, it didn't. I didn't put a whole lot of thought into it at the time, other than that it uh, it seemed it seemed an interesting choice. This idea of again, it it fell right in the line with this idea of of putting. You had the same thing happening to or being self-imposed because the the character Sam's Sam's character chooses. Well, I mean, he is Sam at the time. But, I mean, what's interesting is you wonder if the guy himself, if Sam was not in his body. Yeah, sure. You know what I mean? Would have rebuffed the idea of going into that place. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but Sam goes. You know what I mean? He yeah. decides, yeah, let no, this is good. Let's go here. Right? So... He's okay with that. She's sensitive to it because, you know, who knows where she was during the whole conflict. Who knows if she's sat while he was overseas, uh, you know, defending the government's ideal ideology, you know, and and being there. Um, It's, I'd have to go back and look at more, if there was more backstory to that. I haven't seen that episode in a while, but, um, well, for me, being in that setting kind of made perfect sense that we would all be there because obviously with the girl on the stage, with the, the way, the, the design of the place, and it's obviously the, not too far down the realm of the whole flower power thing, which is just kind of, you know, I mean, the Brady Bunch hippie is the, is the thing you want to avoid when you start talking about anti-war sentiment. Would right. know, um, that happen to me when I was doing hair in 1988 here in Chicago? And yeah. I was the lead, the lead in that so, uh, but they, the way they handled it, even though it was the original producer, Michael Butler, from the, um, you know, from the original production in the 69, the way the 1988 Tribe got handled was extremely uh, surface and mm. flower-powered, you know, goofy, hippie, laugh-in, you know, mm. that kind mm. of thing, Rowan and Martin's laugh-in. Yeah. It, which made it really hard when you're trying to push the, the let's let's make love not war, you know sentiment, you know so I yeah, I, I did notice that. I did feel good about the, the choice, you know, but it, it, it also made sense to me that what it was doing was it was putting people in situations that were that created conflict. And that's why I, like we said earlier, I did like the choice that my character, was directed and also written as being somebody who didn't walk up to him and give him a hard time. He saw what he had, he'd done, and that stops everything. Yeah, you know, mm. you know? yeah. And then my character's recognition of that is whew, wow.
1: Well, yeah. and I think one of the interesting things too is that your character is the only you know example that we get of someone who is who is just sort of you know man on the street, if you will, reacting to. The, the shoes that Sam is in, if you will, because yeah, everything else we've seen... it would seen...
3: have been really interesting had there been two different encounters, you know what I mean? Would, yeah. Where there'd there been somebody who had started coming over to the table, you know, going, hey, what are you doing in here, man? You baby killer, you know? And then my character walking over and going, hey, you know... Yeah, happened, yeah, let me know? buy you a but beer. But it wasn't about that at all. It was about a quick exchange, you know, just to, just to highlight the fact that there was at least one one person that you know was not what you would have expected yeah sure
2: yeah
1: now so for our listeners real quick because i mean dennis and i um have in previous lives and times uh been actors ourselves and and worked on sets but for a role like this um what like can you can you just describe some of the process and sort of you know your your day on the set and etc and 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 what shooting was like on on this show specifically
3: um, again this was there was a lot of hurry up and wait on this one because, <laughs> you know that's which is okay I personally that's that's fine with me I, I also I mean I, I love downtime I love being able to be in different uh, in different situations where I can actually experience it you know overall and there's there's nothing worse than like being rushed in doing something and getting out sure, I mean? sure if you are the kind of person who likes being part of the group that is creating you know if it's if it's this if it's this gypsy caravan you know that is filming something and then you just get to visit for five minutes and leave and that's that's no fun yeah you know? yeah yeah. Uh, and that's kind of how I've always viewed it. I love those longer shoots, I've done 4 week and 18 week shoots, you know, kind of things where you go off and you get to know the crew really well and you get to know the area that you're in and you're all doing the same thing together, and fighting to make this thing happen and yeah. you know, that's 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 a that's a fun thing. Yeah. It's it's what we live for, you know, in terms of doing film and television, but um not so much theater, even though you, that's a different thing. You create an ensemble that you all go through something together and then you all live, but you're all kind of going every night you're going home. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, this was, this was fun because it was a, it, it did take the whole day and that was nice and it was fun because it, it did go by pretty quickly, but, you know, got there, um, went to make up, went to, you know, did wardrobe, walked around in that for a while, went to craft service, like I said, hung out and talked to Jennifer Aniston for about <laughs> uh, yeah. an hour, you know. And, you know, couldn't help sitting there thinking, you know, hmm, I might ask this girl out. <laughs> oh, yeah. I <laughs> <laughs> you know? wouldn't
1: blame you one bit.
3: No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, life would have been way different. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I did.
2: Yeah. There but you know. go.
3: Yeah. So, but anyway, um, and I was involved anyway, so the, uh, but, uh, it was, uh, <laughs> it was that kind of situation and then, and then you just get called a set and if you've ever done that, you know, that can take a while too, because first team goes in, they check camera angles and then they step out then they line up the shots and they figure, they figure out the gaffer walks around and they look and they're setting flags, they're doing whatever they can, they want to sure. get the right look. They're going to set up one angle, and then they go and they shoot that. You might even be off camera, and then you go in and they do it again, and then they come back on you, turn it around, new deal, set up, first team come in, set it up, get, them in, get the look, step out, second team step in and stand in, stand there, and then get all the measurements done, and then you wait, and you go and you, you know, have a cup of coffee, do whatever, you know, and then... Next thing you know, and a lot of times instead of stepping away, I would just go off into the fringes, get out of everybody's way, and I wanted to watch the process. You know, I, mean, so yeah. I wanted to see the I wanted to see the dolly grip, I wanted to see the gaffer, I wanted to see the juicers and doing everything, doing the doing what they're doing. Yeah. and then I did grip and I did juice for a while. I did that on a couple of films, and that was it was fun because Rick Schroeder actually was producer on something. Called me up one day and said, "Do you want a grip job?"
2: I was like, <laughs> Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah sweet so i went off and did that you know yeah um, so if you're running cables you're you know humping around with c-stands and sandbags you know and apple boxes you know if you're part of the group you're doing it right i just love i just love making magic you know what i mean yeah it's, absolutely um you know i mean I, holding a holding a flag in, in a rainstorm to make sure that it, the bounce is right you know what i mean oh I got you. yeah yeah
2: yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. We're in all full rain gear and everything. That's that was fun. Um, so then yeah, you get the you get the shot done and you and you, you know, every, yeah, that's a wrap. on David. David, David. <laughs> <laughs> you know, oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Shake Scott. Shakes Scott's hand. You know, and everything. He stands up and then gives me a hug. You know, which is nice. You know, yeah. took a photo with me and that kind of thing. The ride which I I don't know where the hell that went, but <laughs> <laughs> sure.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know? <laughs> um, you. we, we, we've talked uh, a lot and, and about Scott and, and it's all been based off of interviews or things that we've read, but obviously his workload on the show was, was pretty gigantic compared to a lot of other actors, um, you know, yeah. on TV, and, stuff. Oh, yeah. um, and, and, but we always hear about he how great spirits he was in, how generous he is, how, you know, how warm he, he is. So it's, it's interesting to hear that you said he gave you a hug, but any other memories that, that kind of stand out about him at all or, or working with him?
3: Uh, you know, just I did just that feeling of I did get that he was not in any way diva-ish. He was not somebody who felt like he, 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 he acted with such humility in a sense that he seemed like the kind of guy who felt just really happy to be doing what he was doing and didn't feel like he just totally deserved this and everything was you know, and this was his show now. Yeah, you know, sure. Um and he still deferred to and, and that. He still deferred to the, the director and to the producers and that kind of thing like you know what do you think was that how did this work blah 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 he, he was totally like obviously it's a familiar thing he's the star you know I mean it's 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 he can he can easily go you know can we do that again or whatever you know or can we try that again
1: huge thank you to david mm-hmm. uh, incredibly generous with his time as we as we noted before we dropped those comments in um, but but just a lot of fun speaking to him and um Obviously, check out the show notes. He's got a lot of projects, and we'll, we'll follow up more on that in the, in the longer episode that we release. But it was really cool to, to get the opportunity to chat with him a bit uh, about his experience on the show. And love the fact that he was able to reinforce that Scott is awesome.
0: Yeah. That, yeah, Gave yeah. him <laughs> <laughs> a hug. <laughs> Endlessly, yeah. <laughs> Endlessly nice guy. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, then Julie excuses herself to the bathroom and then comes back. Yeah. And uh, we should note, like, intercut with this is the very nice scene between Sam and Billy. Yeah, or, or Al, Al and Billy. Billy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Al has I mean probably some of the most wonderful dialogue that was ever written for Dean Stockwell mm-hmm. in in all of Quantum Leap. Yeah. Like I honestly feel like he hasn't he hasn't had something this wonderful to do since maybe MIA. Um, or or you know somewhere around there. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe you know Leap Home part 1 part 2 that, sure. that stretch of episodes. Um, But he just delivers it so honestly, so truthfully, so wonderful. I love, you can see, you know, this might sound like bullshit actor speak or whatever, but you can see the moment he makes the discovery to tell Billy about the Vietnam Wall. And it is so fucking Mm -hmm. gorgeous when he does that. And I love, you know, they're going to build a wall. And it's just like this sense of... Respect and awe and appreciation, and, and this is coming from someone who was in Vietnam who was a POW like the mm-hmm. character, obviously, not the actor, yeah. but like it's just it's spectacular,
0: yeah. And to clarify, they don't put the names of people who died by suicide on the wall, I don't believe so. Okay, yeah, I don't believe so. Um, okay, because I've always wanted to be I, I thought I was 99% sure that was the case, yeah, but but Al metaphorically says, Don't put your name up on that. Yeah, But yeah. Uh, but just clarifying. clarify, yeah. Uh, beautiful saying. And uh, we, we glossed over it earlier, um, but kind of tied into this, is earlier in the episode, Sam has a, uh, a voiceover where he talks about the specific time in history that we're at with the Vietnam War. Right. And I think it's worth noting, this is a thing that uh, they start doing this season more, where Sam... Does make commentary about the times. Even in some episodes, they have kind of like a like a news footage montage. Uh, it was kind of interesting thing that they started to do in the last season.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree that you know we we talk a lot about context on this podcast, but it's a nice way for Sam himself to contextualize for the viewer. Yeah, you know when he is, um, and I almost wonder if that was a reaction to the fact that. It, they realized they weren't necessarily playing to the audience that Belisario had initially thought they would be.
0: Mm, That's a good point.
1: I don't know. Could they? uh, I mean, who knows? Um, Just real quick to to drop something in. I mean, uh, the Vietnam Wall um, is a two-acre U.S. national memorial in Washington, D.C., um, as we were saying, it honors members of the armed forces who fought in the Vietnam War and who died in service in Vietnam or Southeast Asia, um, and those members who were unaccounted for. So yeah, anyone who came home and, and, and died after they got home um, would not, not be on that on, no. on that wall. Um, it was completed in 1982. Um, I've been there. Have you been there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's an incredible, moving experience mm-hmm. for anyone. I have no one in my family served in Vietnam. My uncle and my father were the right age, but missed yeah. it just by a hair. You know, I mean, my—I I believe my dad was on an aircraft carrier in Southeast Asia, yeah, but never got. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was, he was—he was basically there for a cup of coffee and then back home. Yeah. Um. So. But that being said, it is it is a very moving experience to see in person, and I would encourage anyone who's in Washington D.C. amongst all of the things that you can do while you're there, including of course like the Holocaust Museum or the Smithsonian or any you know Lincoln Memorial, Washington Monument, etc. That that the Vietnam Wall should be
2: mm-hmm.
1: something that that I think any anyone goes to
0: yeah. And appreciates. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Yeah. My uh, Vietnam connection. Uh, my dad did not serve. He was old enough. His commanding officer somehow managed to to keep him from being sent over. Uh, But I am named after the first man from my county to be killed Mm. in Vietnam, Mm. and he was a friend of my dad's. Mm. Uh, So in my hometown, there is actually a little memorial, like a mini memorial wall in the town square uh, where it lists all of the people from White County, where I was born and raised in Southern Illinois, all the people from White County yeah, right. who were killed in Vietnam. Yeah, there's a similar memorial actually in Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. which is yeah. where I where live. I'm sure. Yeah, as I said day. out loud, like that—that that must have been a a trend. Maybe it
1: probably. Yeah, 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 yeah. There, I would imagine that there are. It, you know, and of course, there are a lot of like other sure. you know war memorials in cities and stuff dedicated to. to other, there's a World War One memorial, famous memorial in Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. that my great grandfather actually helped build. Wow. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah, Al's monologue is just brilliant and beautiful and, and, and it's it, it's a wonderful I think intercutting it the way that they do is, is wonderfully done uh, because the, the monologue takes center stage and then when we come back uh, that's when we get um, the scene between um, Sam and Julie continues
2: mm-hmm.
3: she um, drops,
1: yeah and then, but we also get Kiki bringing in the wheelchair, yeah. And the Al has shoes that. are
0: just dropping all over yeah. the place.
1: Al has that line about like, "Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to be sick." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and which is which is a really interesting moment too because I have to be honest with you, when I first saw it, my initial reaction was, "Wow, Al, that's like that's kind of a visceral reaction to have," and I get it because seeing that motorized contraption it does feel very disconnected from the human being that's lying there in the bed and then of course I smacked myself inside the head and said oh no 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 he's going to be sick because that's what he's going to use to get down to the pool dumbass Yes, not that it's like this disgusting contraption that he Um, has to hook himself into which was my initial reaction for whatever reason Um, but of course this creates a big sense of urgency which gets Al back to the bar
0: uh,
1: which of course is when Julie drops that she met someone yeah that she wanted to tell him at the hospital in Tokyo but when she saw him lying there yeah she couldn't do it um and of course Sam has intimated prior to this that they were going to raise a family and have kids yeah Mm -hmm. and she's like that's something that you want yeah you know I I can't I mean actually
0: at one point he says like this is not genetic he says something Yeah. "Yeah, yeah
1: yeah um and as she's leaving, Sam, and this is, again, one of those other synergistic moments where it feels like this is Ron, just as much as it is Sam, looks at her and says, I have to know, is yes. it because of this? Yeah. And, and it's, it's a really wonderful moment. Yeah. And Julie doesn't have a response. Yeah. And I kind of fucking love that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think she says, I don't know. Well, that's but what I mean, mean, Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah,
1: it's a non-answer. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I really do love that. And then she leaves, and it's just... It feels so real. It feels Mm -hmm. so honest because I don't know how else you would tackle it, frankly, but there's just something about the way that it's played, the way that it's written, that it just feels so genuine, and I really appreciate that. Nothing gets tied up with a bow in this scene. No. Yeah. But now, of course, we know Sam's got to rush back to the VA hospital because Billy's on his way to his date with Destiny. Yes,
0: yeah. Uh, and so we get the scene that lives on in infamy because it's part of the opening credits. It was part of the opening credits before the episode even aired. Yeah. Uh, of, of Sam rolling back in and Al walking alongside him. Does Al wear the same suit? Al wears the same suit this entire episode. Yeah. Hey, fifth season. We're saving. <laughs> Budget cuts. Budget cuts. We're saving money. <laughs> and, and, Al just have this moment about what took you so long and it's just like, Jesus,
1: Al. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding? Yeah. Uh, and then we run into Holt, Dun, dun, dun. Who has all the energy. Which... Uh, which Adam Sandler movie is it Where, where Ben Seller plays the orderly With the mustache And how about a nice warm glass And shut the hell up Is it Happy Gilmore
3: Because I feel like right. that's part of it Because yeah. like the
0: grandma's going Into the nursing home or something Anyway yes. uh, Yep you're right Yeah so we go to commercial um, uh, And yeah we get We get the gimmick scene of the episode.
1: Yeah. And in the in the build-up to that, the orderly is chastising him for being out after dark. You raised the point in our conversations prior to this. Does the orderly really have the power to impose a curfew on Sam? Yeah, it's... Yeah. The... the you know, I think it, it, it plays into the trope of you know the, the the bad orderly. Yeah, he does have a bit of dialogue here where it is interesting. I don't know; it's, it doesn't justify anything, but it is interesting that he expresses his frustration about not being able to go to Vietnam because he was classified as four F because of flat feet. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's and it's and again, the thing is, is it's like, well, you're just a piece of shit. Yeah, because he again, he makes it sound he blames like Ron. For being good enough to go over there, but not a good enough human being to hack it, yeah. because he lost his legs. But he would have been better. Yeah. He would have been a better soldier. Yeah, and it's it just feels a little icky. And and I realize that it's supposed to be. I'm not criticizing, yeah. you know, the the content. The or, yeah, yeah. But um, but then of course Al has the line. Time to, rise, time to rise the, to the occasion. occasion. Yeah,
0: check the hall. And again, instead of walking five feet out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he says, check the hall. Holt's like, why? Is there trouble out there, too? Because Sam is trying to tell Holt, like, no, go to the pool right now. Yeah. And Holt's like, no, yeah, I'll check the pool Monday morning. Uh, and, yeah, that's where Sam stands up. Holt looks in the mirror. And again, this I don't know how I definitely handle production. It's weird because, like, Sam is wearing his pants long down, but instead of seeing the pants float, like, the, the yeah. legs are weirdly cut off. Yeah. That, that yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. We're throwing in here real quick, um, our, one of our, our listeners and, and very active members of the Face Wide Wheel, um, podcast group on Facebook, John Temple. Um, he noted to us that, um, for him, one of the aspects uh, upon rewatch that he, he couldn't help but think of was comparing it to Forrest Gump, and the fact that this is you know, was being made two years prior to Forrest Gump, mm-hmm. um, you know, the technology that they would use in Forrest Gump would have been so remarkable that he genuinely thought at the time that Gary Sinise was an actor who, who didn't have legs. Um, it, you know it wasn't until after the fact that you sure. realized like oh no that was all special effects yeah actually um, yeah, I caught
0: a, a snippet of that on TV just like a couple weeks oh, ago really? and yeah. it just I I was like I was waiting to see the cracks in the technology because it had been that long Sure. and like I was like damn like nope like yeah. I can't
1: yeah <laughs> they did a lot of really incredible work on that I mean we're the Bob Zemeckis who of course directed Back to the Future sure. yeah Um, you know someone who clearly you know knew he was an innovator in that respect sure. yeah um so thank you very much John for remaining yeah. so active and, 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 and always having some, some wonderful comments but uh, the, the mirror image I mean it looks good it's very brief We don't, it's, that doesn't last very long but yeah. yeah it does look like he's floating he's in floating air.
0: yeah pants aren't rolled up or anything uh, and he socks yeah holds say, the face say, say goodnight Gracie yeah. oh yeah knocks him out um uh, our,
1: our friend over at the MacGyver project uh, noted one of the things that he notes both in, in his commentaries on MacGyver as well as Quantum Leap as he does the the fist shake yeah uh, well, afterwards yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is nice because it's like it gives that punch some weight you know the punches hurt not just yes. the person you're hitting but it hurts your fist
0: yeah
1: um, Sam almost tries to run to the pool but Al reminds him like you can't nobody else can see this you know sure yeah. So he pops back in the
0: chair, gets down to the pool. Yeah. I mean, if the episode would have been, nah, it would have been more of a gimmick. Even as I'm saying it out loud, I'm like, no, no. Oh, if he was, like, running down the halls? If he was, like, running down the hall and, like, dodging being seen by people. Well, yeah.
1: You know, and it also, I, I do want to ask the question at what point does it become beyond a gimmick and does it become insensitive? Do you know what I mean? Like, at what point does it become insensitive to show this science fiction gimmick of Sam being able to run through the halls, and yet he has indeed leapt into a man who has no legs you know, below the knee and, and and I think that because the episode portrays that with so much sensitivity in particular Sam having that sensitivity towards Ron throughout the rest of the episode does it become insensitive if Sam starts running down the halls to go save this guy
0: yeah right I mean I can make an argument it's I, a sci-fi sh- sure I can make an argument either way I mean in the episode where we leap into a blind man he ends up getting temporarily blinded. Right, you know, right. You know, if they were to do a parallel in this one, he gets kneecapped.
1: Oh, no! <laughs> <laughs> well, after, after having just recently read and finished 11 63, 63 that carries oh, even more weight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I don't know, there's just... I, I, something I kept coming back to, mm-hmm. and, and come back to here in this scene in the pool room, is that Sam... It, seems to be feeling this leap deeply Mm -hmm. between I think his connections with his brother Tom and of course with Al, his best friend Mm -hmm. uh, there is a connection that he feels to this war, uh, to these people, to the lives that that the war affected and impacted so greatly Mm -hmm. Um, we mentioned a lot in Lee Harvey Oswald sort of the psychic residue, if you will of the assassination of Kennedy Um, the Vietnam War as a whole did the same thing to to us as Mm -hmm. a country and a people and and, and so Sam's connection to this leap um, is felt very deeply and so when this scene that we're getting to turns as dark as it does and Sam starts to put a plan into action it feels like a risk and a gamble but it comes from a very genuine real honest place because he basically eggs Billy on to kill himself yeah it's like you're right you got nothing to live for. Do it.
0: I mean, it's pretty dark, and Al's pissed at Sam. I know. Yeah, uh, it's. Uh, I. I may mean, I get it. It's a TV show. Whatever. This is one of those plans that, when I was a kid, I thought it was like a weird, innovative thing. Like, oh, oh, like, like, do the reverse cycle You sure, know, whatever. Yeah. But. There are so many ways this plan could have gone wrong. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, he pushes himself into the pool. Sam, first off, Sam has to calculate how long he's got to be under there for him to change his mind. He's got to calculate that the way he goes into the pool, like, water's not going to shoot down his throat because of everything else he's going on. Basically, he's, he's going to drown right away, even though he's not. Right. In the water for that long And it's also a calculation that it works Sure What, what, what if he pulls Billy out of the pool And Billy's like God, Like I was close Like I got through like the worst part of it And now you're going to make me go through it again
1: Well you know I appreciate Sam's logic Though that if he stops him forcibly From doing it now um, That what's to stop him From trying again later you know, like if yeah. if whereas if he lets him try it, and then rescues him, because I think the other thing is too is like when you think about drowning, not to get too morbid here, that is an agonizing, awful, horrible way to die, and incredibly frightening and scary. And I think that you know, for lack of a better, I mean, he's he's it's 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 like the you know those old tabloid television talk shows that used to have a drill sergeant come on and try to k- scare kids straight so they would sure, go yeah. to prison or whatever. It's kind of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I think because it, it's not the act itself that I appreciate so much as it's the, the dialogue that leads up to it. Because mm-hmm. it really helps to sum up, I think, so much of this episode. You know, Billy's like, I should have died in that jungle. You know, Sammy has that line, the war's over, Sergeant. And, and you know, Billy responds with like does it look like it's over he starts talking about being a quarterback Um, you know Sam tries to bring up the fact that he just got left by his wife that he's not you know um, but he I want to read this quote actually Things aren't the same anymore. They're not. We're not. You know, talking about the people around them, the people. Mm -hmm. And again, that kind of goes back to that psychic residue I'm talking about. Things won't ever be the same again. And again, the weight of this war that Sam feels. His brother died in it. His best friend Mm -hmm. was a POW in it. His wife left him because he was a POW. It, 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 It lands so heavily um, and then Billy has these lines about the prettiest guns and the biggest bombs and the mm. way that the, you know, they fetishize this war that ties back into Al's monologue about like, we didn't start this war. We're just ones that fought it. Yeah. And it's still that way. Yeah. You look at recruitment offices, they're trying to seduce people into thinking that it's going to be a call of duty video game when the truth of the matter is, is it stinks and it's, and it's bloody and it hurts and it's scary. And it's, you know, it, It's still fetishized, you know, it's in this country, the issue that we have with guns today, the way we fetishize guns in general, much less the way we fetishize it for soldiers that we're trying to send off to war for no good fucking reason. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sums things up so well. Mm -hmm. And and, and Billy has this fear, you know, nobody's even going to remember Vietnam. And it's a fear that's not completely unfounded, because while there are folks that will sit there and talk about it, write books about it, and, 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 and try to figure it out, there are also folks that are still going to send kids over to die in foreign countries mm-hmm. for no good reason. And then, of course, Sam says, you got nothing to live for, you got rid of Carol, mm-hmm. nobody cares about you, what's one more body bag? And so I think that it's just Sam doesn't have any other options. He couldn't talk him out of it. But then when he brings him out of that pool, you know, there is this wonderful moment where it just feels like, you get the distinct feeling that when Ron does come back, that not only is he going to live happily ever after with Kiki and have these kids, but that he's also going to be there for Billy. That he just made a friend for Ron.
0: Okay. I can buy that. You know? Mm-hmm.
1: That's my thought.
0: Yeah. It could have been, and I never thought about this until, like, you were just saying this just now. This never would have done it. It wouldn't have done it in 1993. Quantum Leap never would have done it. Very few TV shows would have done it. I could see it more happening today in today's TV landscape. Sam finds himself repeating the same damn cliches that he shot Harding down at the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. And he realizes he's not there to save Billy. And he actually does let Billy do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, maybe don't show it. Sure. Like, have Sam wheel out of the pool and maybe even leave it ambiguous. Mm. Mm. Does Sam, you know, he tries to talk him out of it. Sam realizes he's just saying cliches. And he realizes, I can't say, you know, everything that you've said is right. I can't save you, only you can save you. And he rolls away. You know, another trend that seems to be happening this season, now that I'm thinking about it,
1: is that this isn't so much about Sam saving people as much as it is about Sam empowering others to save themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas prior, we've seen a very active Sam having to literally save people, whether it's with a gun or mm-hmm. disarming someone with a gun or, or pulling someone off a ledge, literally or metaphorically. In this season so far, we have seen him absolutely powerless to stop Lee Harvey Oswald from assassinating John F. Kennedy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have seen him not really have much of an impact on Leaping of the Shrew other than being there to help uh, Brooke Shields' character kind of discover her feelings for yeah. Sam's character, and so that they live happily ever after on this island. Um, we have seen now him basically empower Billy to put, save himself and want to live on his own, as opposed to Sam giving that to him in a way. In Killin' Time, Sam doesn't really save the day at all. It's 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 Carol, the mm-hmm. you know the Pruitt, the the, the mother who saves Sam. Yeah. And the sheriff in the process. like So it, it's interesting to note that we've seen this strain now through season five. And it's not a case of an episode happening to Sam versus Sam happening to the episode. It's just a different aspect of the way that Sam affects the people around him. Sure. Which I like, mm-hmm. believe it or not. I'll buy that. Um, he also has a lovely line, it's it's easy to die, Billy.
0: Yeah. And I think it's it's enough of a push to get... Billy to push? Yeah. I mean, if Billy waits just five more seconds, Sam is humming the theme to M.A.S.H. Oh, dear God. (laughs) That is fucking dark. (laughs) So, so Billy uh, throws his head forward, pushes himself into the pole. Uh, This had to be a very difficult, weird scene for Dean Stockwell to do, because, like, he's got to stand his Mark, you know, there's not much physically that he can do as an actor, but you gotta be losing your your mind because what are you watching? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um But then yeah, Sam throws out like, you know, don't you get it? The only person who can say Billy is Billy. It sinks into Al, it sinks into us the viewer. Sam jumps in, pulls him out, you got a second chance, you know. Billy comes out saying, Help me, help me, you got a second chance, do you want it? And then we cut to Billy being rolled away. Yeah. And here comes Holt.
1: (laughs) There's almost... There's almost a a baptismal quality to what Billy goes through. I'm not saying that was the intent. Sure. Yeah. You know, just extrinsically as a viewer, it's something that I can't help but pull from it. Sure. Going into the water and coming back out. Back out, yeah. And being saved. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. And yeah, anyway, yeah,
0: here comes Holt. Holt and... Again... The reason why this character had to be here is that you had to have one character who can see Sam actually walk, and no one believed them. And who cares about the asshole orderly? Right. Uh, so he comes in. He tries to tell Hardig, yeah, he he walked. You know, blah 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 blah. Uh, somewhere before after this, I can't remember. You know, Hardig is like, I I how how can you pull a man out with just your arms? Well, you'll be surprised. What you, you do, when you have to, yeah, uh, just shoving that, just just shoving that spoonful of shit right it, back you, back, back at mouth. yeah. <laughs> uh, but then as he's walking out, oh, by the way, called the hotel, let not know what happened. But your wife checked out. Sorry. I'm gonna say the thing that I appreciate about that is, it's like Hardik doesn't have to ask, he doesn't have to put it together. It just implies like this happens.
1: Absolutely, that is a very good point. On a lighter note. Yeah. Just... When she was watching the episode, was like, "That's fucking cold." <laughs> like, like, what if, what if, what if Sam didn't know? Like, what yeah. if Ron hadn't been dumped by her? What if he was thought that she was going to come over tomorrow? And then, yeah. like, that's the way you tell him. Yeah. Which I was, I, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So when she said that, because we were watching it uh, on Hulu, so we were yeah. in bed, we were upstairs, we were watching the Blu Ray. I was just like, I just laughed, and I was like, God, she's right. Like, yeah. like Harding is 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 an awful person.
0: Yeah. Did, did they? <laughs> the show back on Hulu now that you can watch it without paying for the extra, extra package? No,
1: I'm so sorry. We watched it on
0: NBC. You ah, can still watch okay. it for
1: free on NBC's app with commercials. Sorry. Ah,
0: okay, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Anyway. Uh, so, yeah. So, uh, they leave, and now now Sam has a new worry of, like, oh, well, Julie's left me. Right. Um, yeah, those men in the gulf, they're, they're going to die in that battle because their son is never going to be born. We hear Kiki's wonderful voice and And Al says, "Forget, forget Julie, yeah, and a little bit of a stretch in that turns out the kid never came from Julie and Ron, but right, but yeah."
1: Which is also one of those things where like Ziggy conveniently either leaves something out or is unable sure. to discover information. Yeah. You know? Well
0: this one this one Al takes the responsibility for it. He says I never looked to see who the bomb was, I just Right. Yeah. He
1: also takes the responsibility for not having checked on Kiki's brother.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um Well no at one point he says like uh, uh he was special forces and so he's having a hard time getting access to that to that information. Yeah, but
1: doesn't he say in this scene as well he says I never we never followed up on it? I think he says something along the lines of like because he's because he is he's taking the hit for like it not being not yeah. being checked on who the mother was but then because Julie presents the letter that she hasn't opened yet and she can't
0: bear to read it oh, no, and no. Al says something to the effect of like I don't think Al even says anything like like Sam is looking at the letter and he looks over to Al to see like what what the what the letter is going to say and yeah I think Al just gives a look like maybe I'm or, conflating the... the yeah the, the, I, I think they, it's just a nice moment of Al just gives him a look like that. I
1: don't
0: know, yeah. 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 Um, and so Jennifer Harrison has this lovely little melodramatic monologue.
1: She does, and another thing that Jessica said, um, you know, herself being an actor or whatever, she felt like it was a difficult bit of dialogue. Like, it would have just been a difficult monologue to do, and she was not 100% on board with it. Like, she just thought that it, like, it's one of those things as an actor that you would look at a monologue like that and be
0: like... Okay. all right this is, i mean you know. it, it's also like the way it's 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 staged they do that really melodramatic thing mm-hmm. of a thing that a thing that people never do in real life um and I love. One time, I did it in an acting scene, and, and the teacher like called me on my bullshit. Because yeah. he's like, "When do you ever actually do that in real life?" It's the thing that they do all the time in movies yeah. and TV shows. Is when when someone's having a dramatic monologue, they walk away from the person that they're talking to, and they're standing there with their back to them, right. and they're facing out to the camera, Looking out the window. You know? Yeah, yeah that bullshit. Um, anyway, so yeah, she has this monologue because well, she's expecting the letter, and then. It's a cool moment, but on reflection, this is a little bit of a dick move on Sam's part. <laughs> a little bit of a dick move, where he kind of drags her. I was like, "Well, you can cry, and then you can bake the cake." Yeah, plane lands in twelve hours.
1: Yeah. yeah, well, you know, one of the things I do appreciate about Kiki's monologue, though, is it does paint a, a nice picture of like she. You know, and we get this from other bits as well that she didn't want him to go. She tried to tell him to go to Canada, and then when he made up his mind that he was going, she just threw her support behind it. She helped him pack. She did. You know, she was there for him in every way that she could be. And I think that that also plays into just her position as a volunteer in general, is that she feels like she needs to be there for these men any way that she can be, mm-hmm. um, which is why she does seem a bit like a jack of all trades. Sure, you know, bringing the wheelchair and giving the massage, reading palms, you know, sashaying down the hall, and you know, laughing. With the fellows as they give her cat calls and whatever, sure. whatever our opinions are on sure. cat calling, etc., or whatever, I'm, I'm divorcing that from this just because of the yeah. you know her her service, if you will, to to the, to the
0: soldiers. Yeah. Um, so before we get to the end, can I go down? I, just something, pardon Kind of like a dark, a, oh, no. a, a dark tangent here. Yeah. Let's assume that in the original history, absent of Sam's influence, Kiki is the one who brings Billy his wheelchair. So, in the original history, Kiki got home from work that night. She got a letter. She braved herself. She opened the letter. Good news her brother's coming home. Monday morning, she goes into work beaming because life is just so damn good. Did you hear about Billy? Fuck. Not to make light of it, but. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm just saying, no, no, no. Like, yeah. You're right,
1: you're right, though. And it, yeah. it is, you know, that we have talked about things like that before and uh, in, in other episodes about what it would be like in, in the alternate timeline and what mm. it would be like. And it is one of those things that unfortunately we don't often get a, a peek into. <laughs> well. Yeah. For better or for worse. Yeah. Um, But anyway, at this point, you know, clearly Kiki and and, and Ron are going to get together. They're going to have these kids. Their oldest Mm. son is going to save that unit. You know, everything. Sam Sam has put right what once went wrong. Mm. Um, But it's a really nice scene that we get between them. You know, we get the cheesy music or whatever. They hung. Yeah, he's
0: coming home, which kind of touches a little bit on, like, like, the home theme. Of like, mm-hmm. yeah, he's coming home, he's coming home.
1: It also touches on what, uh, I'm going to leave that, actually. We'll talk about the leap out first, and then I'll and I'll come back to it. The, the, you know, then, of course, mission accomplished, Sam leaps out. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a gun in his hand. He's standing at the window. Mm-hmm. There's a woman and her daughter on a couch. There's a news report on TV. Sam has leapt into an escaped convict who has murdered... Seven women. Yeah. I mean, just a, We're talking awful, horrible,
0: sociopathic individual. Yeah. And, uh... I think oh this boy. is one of the coolest cliffhangers. Totally. I agree. I have some issues with the episode. We'll talk about that next week. Uh, probably one, like, top ten, maybe even top five, like, coolest cliffhangers. Yeah. Of just, like, he's clearly, you know, he's got the gun, whatever being crashed in front of the TV, seeing the killer standing up and immediately seeing the reflection. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would completely agree. And it's interesting to note that I feel like we we, we, get, a, we get a couple of those. I think Nowhere to Run is a good leap out. The leap out from Leaping of the Shrew into mm-hmm. Nowhere to Run is a good leap out. I think the leap out from Nowhere to Run into Killing Time is a great leap out. I think the leap out from Killing Time into Starlight Star Bright is a mm-hmm. good leap out. Like it, It's interesting for as much flack as we can throw season five thus far, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald is what it is. It's an aberration in many ways. Like you (laughs) said, maybe it takes place outside the canon of Quantum Leap, much like season four, episode one of West Wing. Um, Leaping to the Shrew is nothing special, but it's fine. It exists. Mm -hmm. Nowhere to run, my summation, this is peak Quantum Leap as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Like this is, uh, I'm not saying it's as good as some of the episodes that we've, Critically lauded before, like Color of Truth or uh, mm. So Help Me God, Thou Shalt Not, you know, Freedom, A uh, uh, Good Night, Dear Heart, etc. Like, I, I might put this above Freedom, honestly. In some respects, like this is this is very very strong, and it feels it. You know, again, it, mm-hmm. it, it feels like
0: Quantum Leap. Um, I feel the only thing that holds it back from being up there is the fact that it's a season five episode, and clearly in season five there were certain budget cuts. I'll and I feel that. like had this episode been done on a season two or three budget, it'd be up there that's fair that's fair um and it's even it's just the thing of like sets look more like sets right which in is, in season five of the show, which is even more clear in the next episode yeah, yeah. um but uh
1: for me, I still think, you know, the script, the direction, the acting, mm-hmm. I feel like it is peak quantum leap. The guest stars are wonderful. Judith Hoag is great. Michael Boatman is fantastic. Jennifer Aniston is great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she is Kiki. You know, Judith is Julie. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael Boatman is uh, uh, Billy. And, and, and there's a kinship. You know, I would, again, I'll restate this. I would encourage people to check out China Beach because there's very much a kinship between... Um, Billy Johnson, who Michael Boatman portrays in this episode, and 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 Sam Beckett, who he mm. is in China Beach. Yeah, um, not our Sam Beckett. But yeah. The other thing that I wanted to say that I stopped myself short of saying earlier, and you know, you sparked it with the whole home thing. I firmly believe that this episode is one of the motivators, one of not the only, mm. one of the motivators for Sam's actions in the series finale. So if you are following along with us and you haven't gotten there yet, you've never seen the series finale, spoiler alert, stop now. Fast forward for the next 90 seconds. Yeah. Here we go. I believe firmly that this episode is a contributed factor to Sam's decision to go back and prevent Beth from leaving Al. Um, Sam experiences firsthand as Ron being left by your Mm -hmm. wife um, he sees Billy push his fiance Carol, away. Hmm. He experiences so much of this loss. He sees what it's like for someone to be waiting faithfully, for someone to come home and kiki. It's a brother-sister relationship. It's different. But again, so much of this episode, I think, proves pivotal to Sam's thoughts, feelings, and ideas about the war. Hmm. And one even has to ask the question, Is how aware is Sam that he ended up saving Tom, that Tom is now alive? Does he still think his brother died in Vietnam? Mm. You know, this episode feels weighty to me as a fan of Quantum Leap in a lot of ways that I think if you'd never seen Quantum Leap and you watched it on your own, it wouldn't feel. And maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm regarding it as high as I am. Mm. Um, So yeah, I think it is a contributing factor to the decision that he makes in the series finale. Um, Spoilers over. Uh, I I love it. Yeah, I think it's peak Quantum Leap and I'm, I'm proud to say that.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't know if I have more thoughts. Six <laughs> more, but I, I, yes, it is. Uh, it's a great episode. Like I said, I have some, some, some squabbles here and there. But again, like yeah. from, like you know, just, just a jerk off sitting in a basement recording a podcast. <laughs> Twenty eight years later, uh, I, I don't know what else I would do. Sure. Differently. Yeah. Yeah, me either. Mm-hmm. Um. So there you have it. There you go. And then a couple years later, we had Jennifer Aniston. On Friends.
1: Yeah, she's going to go on to do a little show called she, Friends. She's going to do a little thing. And yeah, she's going to... She's still working today, right? <laughs> uh, she's still a little bit, yeah. Uh, we, we mentioned this... Um, did we Did we talk about this on mic? God, now I can't remember. Uh, that's not a good sign. Anyway, um, arguably the biggest guest star in the history of the show as far as the career she
0: would have after the show. I mean, yes. I yes. don't think there's anybody else that comes close. Um... I think you said off-mic, maybe Terry Hatcher for a time. Right. With with whatever. Hey, you know, Terry Hatcher could come back. Uh, well, you know, uh, but I, it's hard. Like, Friends has had a renaissance now among... Well, like, because, uh,
1: you know, one of the coups that Peacock has done is that they're going to do a reunion special. It's not going to be an episode of Friends. It's not going to be, you know, Joey Chandler, Monica, Rachel, Phoebe, and, and Ross back this, together. It's going to be the actors... Doing a like, do like, like, sitting
0: around doing a retrospective. I, I kind oh, of. I who guess.
1: cares? I, enough people apparently to. I you know, yeah. Hope, Peacock is hoping.
0: NBC yes. Universal is hoping that enough people to to buy their streaming service. It's not going to be. Uh, I mean, well, it's going to be a one off special. Who's going to Who's going to like subscribe to the streaming service for that? I mean, I don't come know, back. Don't know. Do a limited run. I mean, do something like Will and Grace. Day. Right,
1: right, right. You know, do. Well, and, and who knows, I, this is all, all I know is, is that the actors themselves have confirmed that they're doing something, they haven't, uh, you know, they haven't said exactly what it is, but that's what it was described as in a report that I read, because I, when I was googling stuff for Jennifer Aniston in research sure. for this episode, that I didn't end up using, um, uh, yeah. you know, so yeah. 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 The reason for her nose job, by the way, apparently, was a sinus condition, it was not a cosmetic choice.
0: Oh. So yeah, I didn't even realize that she had a nose job. It's very subtle.
1: They make more of a, out of it in Friends than they do in real life. In Friends, Rachel has a nose job.
0: Oh, okay. And so I, in, in, yeah. in,
1: in the flashback episodes, when they go back to like when they're in high school or whatever, yeah. her nose is, is, is prominently larger.
0: Oh, yeah. that's, that's clever.
1: Whereas in real life, her nose job was obviously much more subtle. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a Jennifer Grey.
0: No. <laughs> no. Yeah. We're not going to explain that one. Look that one up, kids.
1: Which is funny. That brings us full circle because Jennifer Aniston, one of her earliest roles, was playing Jeannie Bueller in the Ferris Bueller TV show, which was a role that Jennifer Grey had
0: in the film. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. That was... was That's our science week out of here. (laughs) All right. Have a good week. And uh, uh, we'll see you next week for the extended interview with uh, David Anthony Marshall. Thank you again. And then we will be back in uh, two weeks' time for... Uh, we'll debate this. Is it killing time or killing time? I think it's both. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>